Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I couldn't do it. I had the sword in her neck, I just couldn't. I know. The others. When you didn't come back, we weren't looking for you. You found your tracks fast enough. But they found us before we found you. They died because of me. See that it wasn't for nothing. Come on on your feet. Seven blessings, worthy liege lords and lovely ladies. On this day, you stand in the presence of Lady Anwen of House Carver Holtzhausen, first of her name. Emissary of the Shaky Isles. Consort of Lord Elric. Whisperer of birds. Champion of the injured. Herald of mighty roller battles. Wrangler of Middle-Earth Adventurers and Mother of Princesses and Protectors. And you're listening to Game of Microphones, Episode 60. (laughs) Welcome to our podcast, Anwen. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. I I usually kind of just talk along to you guys when I'm listening to the podcast, (laughs) so this just makes it (laughs) a little bit more legit. Now we can answer back. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this all week. Nice. <laughs> Me too. In the continued spirit of grandiose introductions, with us today, as usual, is Sarah Duncan, Earl of Sterling and Traverser of the Black Mist. And with me, as ever, is Lady Kristen of House McWiggle-Bergino, first of her name, slave to minivans, the sleepless, the burnt out, and ruler of meal planning. And on this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 8, The Prince of Winterfell. 
And for anybody who's not already aware, this will be a spoiler-filled podcast, potentially with uh, spoilers that range from episode one, the pilot, up through season seven, episode seven. So if you're not current with the show, you might want to pick a different rewatch podcast. (laughs) (laughs) A different rewatch podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so this is your spoiler warning. Warning. So, today, since we have a third guest, we're going to be doing top three highlights instead of five. But don't worry, we will end up talking about everything, for sure. How about uh, we put Anwen on the start, the first of her name, and I let her... I was thinking uh, the same thing. <laughs> let her start off. <laughs> Sounds good. I knew you were going to say that. All right. <laughs> she was ready to go. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so much to choose from in this episode. It was really hard to nail down a top three, actually, which is it's a great that we're going to cover everything because I think everything will come up. But my number three is Arya's escape. Nice. Mm. So there's Arya in Harrenhal and um, she wants to escape and, and she's been getting um, Jack and Hagar to um, go through her list and kill off people that she wants killed off. And... In this scene, she tries to find Jack and to speak Tywin Lannister's name, but um, she she can't find him in time. Uh, she finds him eventually, and then he's really cool and calm and um, explaining how everything works. And But then when she speaks Jack's name and uses it as leverage, so he'll help her and her friends to escape Harrenhal. Um, and I think there's a moment there where, yeah, he, he seems to re- really respect her because she's so clever and she's sort of tricked him. Um, yeah. And he says to her, a, a girl lacks honour. But he still does as she asks, and she, I think he realises in that moment, wow, this is someone who's not to be toyed with. You know, he thinks, yeah. he realises that she's pretty pretty onto it. I liked I liked that moment specifically, too, because it referenced the title of last episode, which was A Man yes. Without Honour, right? So this episode, Arya has no honour. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and it came, up, it came up a couple of times in a few other scenes, actually, that echo from last week, and... Um, I thought that was there was that moment where he looks at her and he he kind of clocks that she's um, a force to be reckoned with. So right. I thought that was really great. And um, of course it works. And there's that awesome scene where they walk past the guards and um, they realise that they're dead. So the first at first glance they see and we see the guards and we think that they're still there. And then we realise that Jack and his um, you know <laughs> knocked them off and then just pinned them up to the wall, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. It would have taken a lot of bravery for them to get past to actually try and walk past them. Definitely, yeah. Imagine that. You don't know that they're dead. All you do, you, you told Jockin, you do what he said. You see the guards sitting there, and you're obviously terrified that they're going to grab you when you try to walk through. Yeah. So that was pretty, exactly. pretty badass. Yeah. She's earned, um, he or Jockin has kind of earned her trust a little bit with what he's mm. been able to accomplish. So I think that that's mm. kind of the blind faith that she went. Right. Yeah. And yeah. she she that has she went faith, on. but the other two don't because they haven't seen yeah, what he's capable she, of. She had to uh, talk them into it, didn't she? Yeah. Um, that, that, we, that she had to trust them. She had to walk them into it. She couldn't talk them yeah. into it. You know, so she had to walk the walk and show them. <laughs> yeah. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, she called she called Hot Pie's bluff. She's like, fine, go back to the kitchen. I don't really care, dude. Yeah. <laughs> You're with me or right. not. Right. Oh man, she was she was having fun with Hot Pie today this episode. She's yeah. grabbing him by the face and, <laughs> and everything. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Did you notice that Arya said um a girl for the first time she referenced herself? 
Oh, as oh, yeah. a girl. I didn't real, rec- realize that that was the first time, but I did recognize that she was doing that this episode, and I loved how quickly she had sort of, you know, like it's the first sign that she can be a faceless man is that she's already blending with with Jockin and you know, showing that she has the capability to pick up on things and morph herself and adapt to fit into any situation, which is exactly the whole concept of a faceless man, to change your face and yeah. your appearance and your, your voice and everything to match the surroundings around you so you can blend in and be yeah. camouflaged. So it's cool. He, he's picking up that she has this capability already just with these minimized interactions that they're having now. Yeah, that, it's so cool. Yeah, and Yorn kind of helped her with that. To begin with, when right. she when he cut off of her hair and told her to be like, uh, listen, you're a dude, a be a boy, yeah, yeah. That's like the, the first, she really is putting on faces from the very beginning. Yeah. As soon as she the moment she sees Ned killed, she has to wear masks, and it just continues. She continues to get better and better at it. She was literally playing the game of faces with Tywin an episode or two ago, as she's he's asking her where she was born and what you know about her parents, and she's making up these lies on the spot, just like the Waif did, and just like she ends up practicing at the House of Black and White too. So that was cool. Um, mm. Little hints of this every episode with Arya. Yeah. And the other thing about um, Jacken in this scene, um, this, I've seen heaps of talk and theories online about him being Rhaegar Targaryen and huh. there's that um, blonde streak, streak in his hair. And th- I don't know if it was just because I've read that recently, but I did notice the blonde streak quite a lot more in this episode, whether it was more prominent or I just noticed it, I'm not sure. What do you guys think about that? I didn't even notice. I've heard some interesting Rhaegar theories, especially about book stuff, um, but we won't get into that. I definitely... Um I, I definitely wonder who who Jockin is, you know, and Rhaegar isn't off the list, but I don't I don't think mm. that I've seen any compelling evidence to, to suggest that Rhaegar is alive on the show. Serial Pharrell. Yeah. Serial Pharrell. That would be cool. Maybe Serial huh? and yeah, maybe Rhaegar or uh, maybe both. Yeah, maybe Jockin is Serial and Serial is Rhaegar and <laughs> and so on. Yeah. I also noticed, since we're talking about faceless men, um, Shay had a little line in this episode where she's talking with Tyrion, and he's like, there are people who want to hurt me. And she's like, I will cut off their faces. I will. <laughs> and that made me think yeah. of, you know, that's exactly what faceless men do. So maybe she's a faceless woman. Maybe she's the waif. Ah. I doubt it. No way. Tyrion killed her. Killed her good. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Staying with uh, with Arya for just for a second, um, it, it's funny when Jockin said a girl lacks honor, and um, you know I I did like a little bit of reading, but I I also noticed that um, Arya said, or Arya, of course is not going to act with honor only because she's seen what honor has done to her family so far. Right. Um, you know, with Ned. And it makes sense, too, because now at this point, obviously, Arya is associated with the the House of Black and White. And the faceless men in general just don't use honorable tactics. Like, if you're going to fight honorably, you're going to stand and face your foe and not use deception as a central um, modus operandi, right? So the faceless men in the House of Black and White just in general don't use honorable tactics. So it makes sense. Sorry, go ahead. And now she's just heard that Winterfell has been taken. I don't know if... She has heard whether or not Bran and Rickon have, quote unquote, died um, during that meeting. Yeah, I I don't think she heard that yet. I don't think anybody knows yet. Rob doesn't seem to have found out yet either. Okay, 
So that's because Theon Theon killed all the all the ravens. Right at this point, the word hasn't spread yet because nobody has entered Winterfell. Um, no third party has contacted Winterfell. So as soon as as Ramsay shows up, then the word's going to get out. I bet. So Lewin Lewin sent the raven before he knew about the boys. He right. sent the raven right as he was being captured. Right. Okay. That's what I was trying to figure out today. I didn't want to rewatch anything from yeah. before to get confused. Sure. No, that so, was actually a really okay. intense moment as Lewin's scrambling to, you know, attach the thing to the raven and the raven's looking at him sitting there yeah. going, rah, rah, like, hurry up. <laughs> Even the raven's trying like to come to hurry. Smacking him on the butt like a horse. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. And then they boom, kick in the door and apprehend him. Great scene. Um, anything else you want to mention, Anwen? About that, yeah. Uh, um, just, right. just that in that scene. Um, I I guess the first time I, I watched so this is just my first rewatch so the second time that I'm seeing most of these episodes really and, um, yeah yeah wow so um, it's it's amazing because um, having I guess if you've been doing rewatches you know each season then each season you've got you know that last season to kind of build on with what's just happened yeah for we'll, me, say I'm one. we'll say right once up. a season yeah we'll we'll yeah, say that yeah so <laughs> so for me it's it's like right to the end of season seven and I've got all of that backstory and that informs what I'm watching you know the rewatching this for the first time so it's wow. really amazing all of the characters are so intense because they've already been built up so much for me in terms of what they what they do later and so little scenes um with each character i kind of look at them and and i know what's going to happen and i just sort of relish like even things like gendry and hot pie in this scene um you know we don't get to stay with them for very much longer and then they're off for for many seasons and so i kind of relish every moment with them um with this one um with jack and it's it's um it did surprise me so he arrives there as a prisoner and then he becomes a Lannister soldier. And I, I don't know if I missed something, but I mean, does he, is he actually a Lannister soldier or does he assume another person's face and then just appear as Jack into our air? And if so, how did he get to be a Lannister soldier? Was he just It recruited? seems like um, all of the, all the people who were captive when Tent, when uh, Tywin showed up, who there were, there's no, there was no rooms in the, uh, in the cells for them. So Tywin was instructed um, the mountain and Polliver and everybody to put them to work. So some of them probably ended up as as being trained for fighting, or if that was their skill set, some are probably doing other stuff. Hot pie is cooking now. They all seem to be sort of trusted at this point. Gendry is making. Yeah. Yep. I oh, know that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty much it for um for Arya. All right. How about you, Kay? You want to go? Yeah. Sure. Um. So I just wanted to talk about kind of like a theme um, that I noticed almost right off the bat for the episode. And that's uh, the theme of weakness. So cool. I feel like this entire episode in every single scene, we got kind of a glimpse of of what everybody's weakness is and how it's affecting them. Yeah. Good. Great. Great point. Yeah. One of one of the biggest ones, I think, is Theon. Right. Um you know, his biggest weakness is this need for him to be accepted by his father, right? And so... And by the Starks, too, almost. It's like him capturing Winterfell is like a like symbolic for his need to be accepted as a Stark. Yeah. <laughs> He's had a complete devolving identity crisis, yeah. you know, this <laughs> entire season. It's, you know, the de-evolvement de- of Theon, really. Totally. Um but 
you know, he wants to bury those boys at the end. He wants to pay the man, uh, the farmer in gold for his troubles. You know, he wants to kind of erase everything that he just did because he can't stand to look at it because he's not strong enough to re- to to realize the ramifications of what he has done. Um, you know, he killed. Um, who was it? It wasn't Umber. Was it Umber? So quickly, I forget. Roderick. It wasn't Umber. Thank you. You're welcome. He killed Sir Roderick, um, you know, basically with a dull sword in the heel of his boot, um, which, you know, was horrible. He's letting this guy Dagmar, uh, who knows how weak Theon is, kind of run his mind and run Winterfell. And he's kind of a puppet master and he's preying on Theon's weakness. Yara, you know, rolls by and he's got his you know, chest puffed out because he's expecting this, you know, I don't know, parade or something. And they all just kind of ride by him and you can see him getting smaller. And, you know, he's like, I took Winterfell. I took it. Me and 50 men. That's it. Just me, you know. And that is pretty impressive when you think about it. That's the one thing I do agree with him about. It's that taking Winterfell with 20 men, like he he, he knows Winterfell. He saw that it was weak and that they're, you know, that their men were elsewhere and he tricked them to get the rest to leave and he took Winterfell with strategy. It would be really badass if the Greyjoys and he was he were in a position to keep it, you know, but it's just a gambit for for no purpose when they have no intention of taking the north and no capability and no capability to take the north or keep it. And so it's just it's total derp move overall. But the, that fact in itself is impressive, you know. Maybe. I mean, I'm kind of with Yara and the fact that she said, you know, well, who give, gave you the bigger fight? Was it the cripple or the six year old? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it comes down to, you know, have talking about how he killed them and his motivations and everything and how he wasted their opportunity to use them as leverage and as, you know, bargaining chips as hostages and everything. I She's totally right. But I think taking Winterfell was pretty impressive. It's, t- it's totally reckless and stupid and and represents uh, or shows how he can be how he's so quick to anger and can be manipulated by even these little kids that he would and want to kill these kids at all. So, yeah, you're making a good point as well. And then she shows so much dominance over him, doesn't she? Like even that first scene where she rides into the courtyard and she just (laughs) circles him several times with the horse. It just, um, even just that shows so much. And she's got all this respect from her men. You know, they're in that scene with the, in the table and, um, and she says, leave us. And they instantly all just get up. And it's quite contrast to Theon, isn't it? Yeah. And she told him to his face that he was weak to, to add to what you're, or to, to, um, you know, solidify your point here, Kristen, is she mentioned that right to his face. Mm-hmm. Well, and, but see, then you can, so going along with this weak, weakness vein, because uh, Yara made the list as well a couple different times, um, you know, she sees the weakness in Theon. Um, she sees how weak their position is ultimately at Winterfell. Um, it weakens the Ironborn's claim to anything if they can't hold Winterfell. So she just wants to leave and she wants to just pretend that it didn't happen because I think her weakness ultimately is her brother. Right. Um, definitely. You know, she she has that tender moment where she talks about how he was a baby and how he looks straight at her and would stop crying. And, you know, she looks like she actually has, you know, an affection for her brother and and we'll learn later that that is in fact her weakness. She tries to rescue him and, um, you know, she wants, 
she wants him to be her brother. She wants him to be, you know, a gray joy. And that's kind of their struggle for the rest of the series. Definitely. Um, and, you know, now she's just, I mean, you can only imagine that she's just sitting there hoping that her brother comes for her because that's all she's got to count on at, um, where she is, wherever she is right now, um, being held captive. Yeah. And she came for him. So he better come for her. I mean, now he's, and he's, he's planning to. to. We yeah. Saw, yeah. Mm-hmm, which is wonderful. You know, he kind of grew a pair. Then I'd grow back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's dragons in the world. Maybe they do. <laughs> Meet the right maester. So sorry. Um, so, so I've got like this, this list of, of, of exposed weakness and, and I'll try to run down it a little quicker just because I thought Theon was kind of the biggest one, but, um, you know, when you go to Karth, you see that Danny's weakness is uh, her dragons and just yep. kind of like the frozen terror that she feels that she can't leave them, even though Jorah has this ship for her that she made him get. Jorah's weakness, of course, is Daenerys. Yeah. And to just, just to add to the Daenerys thing, her weakness is her dragons, but it's also her strength. And that's a recurring theme that we see in this show as that's well. That's so funny. I put that in parentheses. Oh yeah, that's so yeah, that's great. I did. Same thing with Ned. You know, his honor is his weakness, but also his strength. And the same thing with John and Rob. And like, we see this theme of weak of your weakness being your strength at the same time, and giving right. propelling you, and also causing your downfall. Uh, it seems to be a repeated mm-hmm. theme through this uh, series. Um, Tyrion's weakness is, of course, Shay. Yes. Um. Rob's weakness. Rob is getting weaker as well. Um, This is kind of, you know, he's at odds with his mom and he's in love with this woman who, you know, he wants to be with and he doesn't want to marry the the Frey girl. Um, You know, and I think that this um, softening of him is starting to weaken him. Now Winterfell's been taken, right? Um, when Talisa says, how are you doing? And he kind of breaks it down for her. You can tell like <laughs> he's, he is just still a little boy, Yeah, you know, that has to put on this man suit, um, <laughs> which is probably really hard for him. You know, I mean, when he says, I don't want to marry the Frey girl, I'm like, oh, you're like a little 10 year old. I don't want to eat my peas. Yeah. And we'll talk more about it being hard for him to put on the man suit when we, when we get into my number three. Um, so I'll just yeah. Throw that out OK. There um, and then there's John and Egret. Right. Um, their attraction to each other is uh, kind of not so much weakness as much as it's kind of making them vulnerable. It's exposing them a little bit. They're both very hard uh, characters to get to know. Um, not for the viewer. I'm just saying like for other characters, you know, right. um, it seems that Egret uh, is somebody that probably just, you know, fights, tells people to fuck off and then goes <laughs> yeah. to sleep. They're both tough nuts you to know? crack in their own way. Right. And they're kind of exposed right now because People are seeing, oh, wait, I think they kind of like each other. And, um, you know, John, John finds out that, you know, his brothers died um, trying to come and 
and save him, trying to come and find him. And, you know, Corn says, make sure that they didn't die for nothing. And I think that that kind of propels the rest of his story. Um, but we can talk, we'll probably talk about that later. Sure. But that I think is um, a weakness in him is this sense of duty and honor that pulls him in all sorts of different directions. And he turns out, it turns out that he eventually uses it as a strength. But for right now, as he's trying to kind of figure himself out, it exposes him even more. It makes him more vulnerable. Um, and then lastly, Joffrey and Joffrey is just weak all around (laughs) and all, and his one scene foreshadows. You're talking about a King. Oh, the absolute just hot mess that's coming (laughs) for Blackwater with Joffrey, you know, you um, should be out there with the people. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure that your people will be glad to follow you, you know, don't make him smile ear to ear. Okay, buddy, calm down. He tries to be so tough, doesn't he? I'll give him a red (laughs) smile. (laughs) It's just terrible. He pulls his dagger halfway out like. (laughs) It's great. Yeah. And you see him just, you know, every single time you see him, you're just like, I just want to punch you. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he just looks like, what does he have, like eyes, like mascara on or something? He just looks like a total psycho when he's walking around. Caligula. Totally. Yeah, it's wild. So anyways, that's that's my... Nero, uh, sorry. So that's your number, that's number three. Number three. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. So Thanks. my number three is another sort of theme thing, and it's the, uh, it's fear. So... Oh, cool. We were talking about... Um, Rob needing to put on the man suit and the whole Ned thing. And so he, he's walking along with, with Talisa and they're talking about his betrothal to the, uh, to the Frey girl. And it's pretty funny. She's, she says to him, uh, and you're marrying her for a bridge. <laughs> and he's like an important know, bridge, you know, important it's, bridge. it's like, ah, he says it was before they killed my father. You know, I thought that I could still march South and rescue him. But only if I crossed that bridge and they get into talking about Ned and how everybody loved him. And Rob said he was the best man that he ever met. And he says, I know people always think that about their fathers. But and she cuts him off and says, people do not always think that about their fathers. And we have plenty of examples of that in this show, too. You know, we do have certain people idolizing their 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 fathers. And then others like Sam Tarley, whose dad tortured him, essentially. Or Joffrey, who just didn't like his dad. Um, or Tywin, who hated his father for being weak, uh, etc. Joffrey didn't like either of his dads. Right. <laughs> but boom My two dads. <laughs> yeah, totally. So then Rob starts talking about how Ned had told him that being the Lord of Winterfell, Warden of the North, was like having thousands of children and trying to keep them all safe. And uh, that he, he would wake up in the morning in fear and go to bed with fear because he's trying to make all these arrangements and do all these things to make sure everybody has food and everybody is safe and that you know there's it's chaos living in the virtual wilderness of the north and he's got a lot of responsibility and so rob would ask him how can a man be brave if he if he's afraid right and ned tells him that's the only time a man can be brave which i thought was a great line um really cool concept that I, people love to reference that and everything so it was fun seeing that this episode and the scene continues and uh, she's you know Talisa says she could have wishes she, she could have met him and Rob says that he would have liked her and 
she mm-hmm. she sort of says most most lords worry more about their gold and their glory than about their charwoman scrubbing their floors. I thought that was funny. She called herself a charwoman, and <laughs> and um, Rob points out that that wasn't really his thing. And she questions him and says, you know, questions basically why he's fighting the war and assumes had assumed to this point, I guess, that it was for gold and glory, same type of thing. But he says that, and that he's convinced that they wouldn't be safe until the Lannisters are defeated, which I think is a good point to bring up, because that's Littlefinger's fault, you know? None of that, this whole, like, animosity with the Lannisters wouldn't have been accelerated without Littlefinger writing that, you know, having Lysa kill John Aaron and having her write that letter. Um, I love it that we're bringing him up right now. He wasn't even in the episode. <laughs> right. He's always there. <laughs> He's always there. Yeah. I'm seeing Rob's determination and I'm like, damn you little finger, you know? <laughs> so that was funny. Um, and then there's another scene where he says that he, you know, they, the Lannisters need to be defeated. And then he says also that uh, he believes in justice. And she's like, what do you mean? Like chopping off Joffrey's head? And he's like, yeah, that would be a start. So that gives you a cool idea of what his plans are. There's going to be a lot of people's heads chopped off if he <laughs> you know, Lannisters and stuff. I, I loved it when he said that'll be a start. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Because everybody at this point, you know, for at least watching it the first time, you're just thinking, oh, I hate the Lannisters. Like the Starks are, you know, have been like super wronged and everybody just wants revenge at this point, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So then it, it switches to another scene at King's Landing. Or no, at uh, it's with Tywin, and Kevin is talking. And he says, King's Landing will fall an hour after Stannis lands his force. And he's basically advocating taking the court and having everybody evacuate and flee to the west. Um, and Tywin's having none of it. He's, uh, he's like, you know, there, there's two... Stannis is two days from the capital. The wolf is at my doorstep, and they're having this strategic discussion. And that's Arya's listening in the whole time, which is cool. She's pouring water and everything. And uh, Kevin reveals that he thinks that Balon sent Theon to take Winterfell, so he doesn't realize it was sort of a rogue operation. Arya learns that Theon has taken Winterfell too at this moment, so that's kind of a, like a big moment for her. We sort of mentioned that already. Tywin thinks Rob doesn't know enough to be afraid because he's a boy and he's never lost a battle and he'll risk anything at any time. And this goes right into what Rob was just talking about with Ned, who woke in fear and went to bed in fear every every day that that survival is based in fear. Right. And Rob is too happy right now. He's not he's not in the he's not in the right mindset. He's, he he mm-hmm. realizes that he he didn't understand what Ned had said about fear and he thinks that he's understands now, but he still doesn't understand it. And Tywin understands that Rob doesn't understand that <laughs> to play some more fun word games like we did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, you mean uh, he'll risk anything at any time because he doesn't know enough to be afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically. So I thought that was cool that there is that sort of encapsulated um, concept in this episode of fear and how a leader needs to know fear and understand fear, and um... you could tie that into into Theon as well. Um, Theon is afraid that he's going to be found out that Bran and Rickon are going to show up, and he's going to be made a fool again. You know, <laughs> he's afraid that he's not going to be able to lead these people, and he's not going to be able to keep Winterfell because his sister showed up, and everybody likes his sister more than they like him. And, yeah. 
you know. And then so. simultaneously, he's not afraid of the stuff he should be afraid of, like every single person in the North wanting him dead for having killed the Stark boys. You know, <laughs> I just don't even see how he didn't see that. Yeah, his strategic uh, game is way off at this point, right? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I think for Theon as well, that's what's going to make if you know if he, if we get this redemption arc that we're all wanting with Theon, um, you know, in the ne- in the last season, I think because he's been so fearful the whole time from the very beginning all the way through that once he moves past or drops that fear and does what he has to do, it's going to be all the more satisfying for people to watch. Wow, that's a great point, Anwen. Oh, absolutely, totally. Yeah. Oh, just thinking about that makes me happy. Did you just go off and think about that? Because I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little little in my mind going, oh, it's going to be so satisfying. It's like when, you know, it's a real long game, isn't it? It's like any show that goes on for ages and then suddenly something happens that you've been wanting to. It's just such a payoff. Yeah. Oh, like Baelish dying. Yeah. Or I mean, it, when you go t- think about horror movies, like think about Stranger Things this season, right? We had a character who had who overcame <laughs> their fear. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not giving any names. We had a character who uh, who overcame their fear. Right. And a story about a scary clown that, you know, the person overcame their fear and conquered it. And that's what horror movies are all about. That moment where the, the hero overcomes their their fear and and, you know, unleashes hell on the bad guys and stands up and faces the enemy that's like the best moment you know yeah it just makes you jump on your couch and scream and cheer and yell it's really satisfying mm-hmm. yeah so hopefully that happens with theon and it's a good point that it, it's essentially an overcoming of of fear on a number of levels that's cool i was hoping that you guys would add to a couple of my points here it actually it ties in quite nicely with my number two. It's kind of Perfect. similar. Perfect, because that wraps up my number three. So let's go right ahead to your number two. Awesome. So I'm actually making it three for three with you guys on the themes because my number two is also a theme. And <laughs> it's <laughs> it's kind of similar. They're all tied in together, but it's a theme of sacrifice and uh, how far people will go for their own ends or else for those that they love. And... Mm ties in really nicely Duncan with your number two because I've got a few people to talk about uh, under this theme but the first one is Rob and Talisa right and that conversation that he's having with with um Talisa about Ned Stark and what it was like for him to be a lord and all that stuff you said about going waking with fear in the morning and going to bed with fear at night and 
the whole thing about that's the only time a man can be brave. I, I love that idea, and I think that if you love someone, you might you might feel losing them. But the more you love them, the more you can be brave to either save them or to help them or to um, sacrifice the things that you might need to to make them have a, a better life. And um, it's the other side of the coin, really, from what we saw last week with Cersei when she said to Sansa, um, the more people you love, the weaker you are. So mm. right. uh, from her her sort of perspective, um, you know, Cersei um, sacrifices some strength in order to love. So she sees it as a sacrifice that she that she can't be as strong as she would like to be because she loves, but she sort of begrudgingly sacrifices it. And the other side of that is Ned, who, because he's an honourable man and a good man, I think he does it without question. You know, his children are, and sort of his, his people as well, I guess, as an extension of his children, are so much part of his life that he does that without question. He just loves and he's he's um, strong for them and he will sacrifice. And he obviously did the ultimate sacrifice at the end. So it's a really different side of the same coin. And I love that that shows so much about their, their characters. That's a great point. Yeah. It also uh, matches up with the concept of love being the death of duty. Yes. You know, the more you love, yep. the weaker you are. And Rob, you could say yep. that his love for Talisa was the death of his duty regarding the the bridge, you know, which they lost and that he died because he betrayed the Frey family at this point. And he then you exactly. could turn and think about it in terms of sacrifice, too, because he sacrificed that strategic advantage for the love of Talisa um, yep. for him. So there's him sacrificing something. Exactly, and going right back to to the beginning, you know, bef- before the the show even started, when you've got um, Ned making that decision to pretend that Jon Snow is his, um, that's a huge sacrifice. Yeah, sacrificed so much, and not he'd sacrificed things for other people too. Like it wasn't just a mm. personal sacrifice that he mm. sacrificed. You know, he sacrificed his relationship yep. with Cat. It affected her. It affected John mm-hmm. in a number of ways. Like his life was, you know, measurably different because of this decision. He exactly. there's a lot of weight on that decision. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. And then the second one um, along that same theme was the scene the scene with Tyrion and Cersei when um, they're they're sitting there talking and they're talking quite calmly and they're just sort of baiting each other a little bit and they're talking about Joffrey and and then it escalates to become really threatening and it's I think it's the start of that that real rift between them um, it turns so menacing and she mentions his whore and it's so um, messed up too considering that yeah. last episode Tyrion was making that gesture stepping up when she needed comfort and right after she divulged the whole incest secret to him and he was being really yeah. cool to her and now she's totally like being a dick. Yeah, and and it's it's come around so quickly. She says she wants to um she wants him to love someone so much that she can take her away, and then he'll know what it's like to lose. And very next episode, she's she's in there doing what she thinks is you know cr- obviously being very cruel to the person who she thinks is his whore, and it's actually not. And um, I th- I think that was really interesting. Tyrion keeps his cool at first, but you can sort of see that it's affecting him. Um, and then he, they bring um, Roz in and, um, and they have their little exchange there. And um, it's quite interesting where, you know, Tyrion ends up making that threat to, to Cersei after the whole thing's played out. And yeah, that comes back to bite day, Yeah, a day <laughs> will come when you think you're safe and happy and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth. And she just says, get out. And it's, right. um, yeah, it's, it's pretty extreme. And I think, yeah. Um, it's very similar to the speech to the um, threat that she gave him when, La- yeah, Marcella, when Marcella was, was leaving. leaving. Yeah, it's yes. almost word for word. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. She started and that's it. like, yeah, <laughs> that's a, the ultimate sibling rivalry. They've suddenly started this. There's no coming back from it. They've she started pinched this, my cock when um, I was a baby. <laughs> Well, he killed my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 yeah. Tyrion started it. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious and horrible. There was one little bit in that scene, though, that I kind of thought, um, you know, where Tyrion um, has his little exchange with Roz and and he says, um, she says, don't forget me. And and it it seemed quite put on and quite wooden. And I just wondered with Cersei's smile, does she smile then at the end of that scene because she thinks that she's affected him or does she smile because she didn't really buy it? I, I wasn't quite sure. I think that she was like smiling cause just because she's so happy with herself at like getting one up yeah. on him and like, yeah. Yeah, she, the, thought she'd, she thought she'd done it, yeah. The lust. Yeah, I think we're still pretty early in Cersei's, um, in Cersei's foresight. yeah. You know, she she still she still doesn't see things from all angles. We've, mm. you know, she's really. I mean, gosh, I hate her so much. Yeah, I love Lena he- Hetty. Yeah, I just <laughs> hate Cersei so much. Uh, yeah. You know, but we've. Sh- this is a long cry from her walking around in the hand painted map. You know, trying to figure yeah. out how she's going to keep her power. You know, she's still kind of clawing for it. So I think that she personally. Um, I think that she totally thinks that she got Tyrion on this one. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's kind of where I was leaning. I, th- I mean, she's just starting to play the game, really, isn't she? She has a lot of practice later, but at the moment, she's just beginning her um, her scheming. Definitely. And then, of course, um, then Tyrion runs off to Shay, and this this is how it fits with the theme, I think, for, for me as well, is that he realizes how much he loves her when he thought that he'd lose her or thought that she'd been harmed. Um, and that echoes what Ned had told Rob about being brave when you're afraid. So um, I, I think that's the moment when he realizes often you don't realize how much you love something or need something until it's uh, taken away from you or threatened to be taken away. So uh, I found that pretty powerful as well. I would kill for you. Do you know that? Yeah. I would kill you. <laughs> I expect I'll have to before this is over. <laughs> oh, God. That was hardcore. Yeah. yeah. And then there's one final little exchange um, along that theme of sacrifice as well, and it also goes along with what you said about the the weakness um, with Daenerys and Jorah, and he's you know he'll do anything for her, and he tries to convince her to flee, and he says um, she asks him you know do you will you remember do you remember what it was like when I went into the fire, and he says until my last breath I will remember after I've forgotten my mother's face. Right. And she's she's really moved by it and um, she touches his face and this is quite amazing. I, I really liked that moment because it contrasts quite strongly with last week's episode and when he touched just touched her arm and she said that he was way too familiar. Right. And sort of backed mm. off and then it's just it shows this little step closer where they're starting to become a little bit more devoted to each other um, in this scene and um, obviously, you know he, he he will sacrifice anything for her. He'll sacrifice his life. He'll he'll um, get the what's that called the black black scale? Oh, the yeah grayscale. Grayscale, gray yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he'll basically do anything. And and I think it's um, a, a moment where she kind of realizes that. So a couple of episodes ago, when when she when he said, "Sometimes I can't believe you're real," and she had that, "Whoa, okay, he's really into me." Kind of um, stepping back, kind of feeling a bit taken <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. By it. And, and Your now she's servant actually loves going, you. You realize this? Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, he's totally crushing on me. <laughs> but um, 
in this scene, she actually realises how much he means it and how much she means to him. And so I think she's really moved by that. And she's um, she becomes then a bit closer to him in that moment, I think. So um, that's that's pretty much it for the theme of sacrifice. But it kind of runs through and it's pretty similar. And she also draws the line at sacrificing her her children, her dragons for her own survival. Yes. So I think that's worth adding there, too. Mm, Definitely. Yeah, that's the that's the sacrifice she won't make. So, um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. What's your number two, Kristen? All right. So my number two, um, that was awesome, by the way. Anwen, I love that theme. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I love it that all three of us got a different theme out of that one episode too. Yeah, so and we can extrapolate all those themes like yeah. to, to crazy levels. And even from the same scenes, yeah. Braid braid them together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so my number two is actually Tyrion and Varys. Um, I love these two so much. Um, I love it when they're together. I love it when they... Um, I, I, I think today or today, this week's episode, um, is kind of the most honest conversation they've had. Um, yes, you definitely. Know, they, they they both recognize that they can't talk to each other freely. They both tell each other basically that they, they want to trust each other, but they just can't, um, you know, varies, you know, he says to, to Tyrion, if you want to play, you're gonna have to go first. <laughs> I love uh, um, our, how our mm-hmm. listener Lucy Roberts gave them the uh, the, the name Varian. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, they're a great team. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. We might have to just call them Varian from now on. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um. So. Um, Varys actually compliments Tyrion a couple times. And, you know, Varys is so good at complimenting other people in this really con- condescending, like, fuck you manner. <laughs> but it, what we know of Tyrion, you know, after being with him for seven seasons now, Varys is actually really complimenting genuinely him. complimenting yeah. him, you know? Yeah. Um, he's great. saying, listen, you're really good at hand, at being the hand. You know, John Aaron and Ned Stark... They were good at it too, but you like playing this game. They didn't like playing this game. And, you know, Tyrion kind of lets his guard down a little bit and he's like, you know what I do? I do like playing this. I like, you know, he likes running things and making things work. And that goes to how good he was with the uh, plumbing of Casterly Rock. Yeah. Um, And then they have this really fun ending to their um, conversation, which is, I think, their own little foreshadowing with where they are now. Right. Um, Great call. When they start talking about Daenerys. Yeah. And she's got three dragons and Tyrion kind of scoffs. Sure. Sure. They, and sure she like, does. And he says, listen, when they're full grown, there's going to be nowhere to hide. And Tyrion says, one, one game, game at, at a time, time my, friend. my friend. Yes. Which, you know, it's, it's interesting because, now they're in that game. Right. And Tyrion, right? it's definitely not a game for Tyrion. You know? No, he 100% Tyrion's believes in what in, he's doing. Right. And the, so, and Sir I, Patrick would question. He's probably saying it's still a game for Varys. Yeah, Sir Patrick's screaming at us right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's screaming at you. He's like, he's like, yeah, Duncan, that's right. That's what I would say. Yeah. So he's screaming at you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that scene too. And with, you know, Tyrion and Varys are so, they're such two great minds and it's, <laughs> that's why it's so enjoyable seeing them banter like this because they, they're they starting to really suss each other out and understand and respect each other. And, yeah. um, you know, it's really interesting when you look at it with the reflection of, of what we've already seen up to season seven, how they reunite later and, and they are playing the game with Daenerys and they've switched sides. And I, I think that's, um, it is really interesting when you see it with that kind of um, hindsight. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. point. Well, you know, Varys is the one that gets Tyrion out of King's Landing. He's the right. one that puts him on the fire and blood path. You yeah, know? he sees that he's got the potential. Mm. So the two of them starting their, I don't know, it, I won't say it's a bromance, but it's definitely this relationship. It's, you know, of intelligence. It's of mutual respect. Mm. Um, it's of some... It, it something is is driving them to work together. I think they're both um, outsiders in a way. They're both very clever, mm-hmm. but they've both always been marginalised, and so they recognise that in each other. And yeah. um, you know what you're saying, Kristen, about um, Vera says, uh, you know, that Ned Stark and John Aaron disdained the game and all who play it, but you enjoy the game. And when um, Tyrion says, "Though it's the last thing I expected," you know, he's suddenly mm-hmm. become this person who. You know, he was always ridiculed because of his size and he wasn't able to fight in battles and anything. And now he's realized that he can actually use his clever mind um, to, to play the game. And Varys respects that, I think. So I think they have got quite a lot in common. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, Tyrion's finally in a place, in a position to actually be, uh, to actually have his intelligence and, and be not recognized, but go towards something. Mm. Um you know, I think that it's Tyr- the only reason why King's Landing is still standing um, is because of Tyrion. Pretty much. Um, after next week's episode. You know, Tywin might have run run in on his horse or whatever, but without Tyrion and his plan for the wildfire, there's absolutely no way King's Landing would have stood long enough for Tywin to reach King's Landing. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely. That's just... Um, one little thing about Varys, I don't know, the scene between him and Tyrion and Bronn is probably oh, yeah. one of my favorite scenes of the entire <laughs> Oh, episode. yeah, that's a great scene. Um, mainly because one is that Bronn basically, I don't know, have you guys, Anwen, I'm sure you have as a mom, um, have you seen The Incredibles? Yes. <laughs> so you know the little, the little teeny designer who's like, no, no capes. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's what that's what Bronn was telling Tyrion. Like Bronn sitting yeah. going, I'm not wearing a cape, man. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I don't want the cape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh <laughs> man. That was so funny. That was great. And and it shows you how, you know, Bronn how clever Bronn is too, because Tyrion obviously is a clever dude, but Bronn wins the argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He justifies it. Yeah, it's his job and Tyrion ends up saying, Okay, you don't need to wear the the, the gold cloak. So that's crazy that yeah. you know Bronn has that type of capability to um, not necessarily manipulate, but to convince Tyrion. Uh, well, he's got the real world experience, you know. Like right. he's he's a warrior, and Tyrion's only had his book learning, and he's sitting there trying to figure out the war strategy from the books, and and he's quoting that <laughs> name wrong, and he goes, "A and that's chivalrum, brilliant, Anwen, too, because that's part of the conversation. Is you know they're trying to you know they're they're trying to figure out the strategy for the for. Defending yeah. King's Landing. So Tyrion's looking at the books. Bronn's saying, no, like, you got to 
use like street knowledge and everything. And then that yeah. sort of illustrated right before the, right before they're even talking about this this subject, like actually talking about it, it's all being alluded to by the conversation about the gold cloak and Tyrion's mm. you know strategic uh, mindset from theoretical uh, viewpoint and bronze experience viewpoint coming into play where he's using exactly. yeah, bring up strategic reasons why the cloak isn't good like it 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 gets in your way in combat and makes you less maneuverable it draws attention to you and makes you a target you can't sneak up on anybody right yeah yes. you're noisy yeah it's nice how it leads into it yeah i just liked it bronze like i don't know throw the throw the books at him <laughs> varies goes we don't have enough books. Yeah, yeah. or men. <laughs> I thought it was great, too. It's like Bronn kept like getting the better of Tyrion over and over in this scene. It's, or so it seemed, right? He wins the argument about the cloak. And then um, he gets he, uh, he sort of seems to win the strategy argument by pretending he understands how to pronounce this maester's name. Right. <laughs> and and there, I think that's what happened. Right. He's he, he like pretended to know more, mm-hmm. faked it till he maked it type thing. Right. Um, so that was pretty funny. And then Varys comes in and pronounces the name correctly, and Tyrion sees that Bronn was playing him and <laughs> shoots him a knowing glance. So that was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know how closely you guys pay attention to that scene, paid attention to that scene, um, but Varys, you know, he he's barely speaks in that um in that scene but his nonverbal communication and his nonverbal <laughs> acting was wonderful Great. i didn't even catch I mean, the faces yeah. he made and you know he was answering bronze questions like bronze said you know have you ever been in a war or a battle or something and you see various he's just shaking his head he's like no that's great <laughs> it's just i was great. taking notes like you go back and watch that scene <laughs> well do um, varies in the background is is the comedy relief of that scene for sure he does a great job too you know with um we we talked a bit before about Littlefinger and his voice changing and, and yeah. things uh, did have you guys noticed that Varys I mean I don't know whether it's just an evolution over over time but his voice does seem quite a lot smoother and smarmier in these earlier seasons you know he walks in and he says the name correctly and things and I just wondered whether it's you know was it was a sort of conscious thing that um, as viewers, when we first meet him, you know, for, I didn't know what his game was for many seasons. Right. <laughs> and you realize now, you know, we realize now season seven, he's there, he's, he's, you know, he, he's for the realm and he's for, he's always been honest. If you look at it from that perspective, even if he seems to be um, betraying various people, it's all about um, that he's doing it for the or realm. So and I just wonder whether. Yeah, yeah. I, wonder whether it is, I believe him, man. Right, that, that's okay. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Or so we believe, yeah. right? We can't say for Thank sure. You, yeah. That's what we believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again, Sir Patrick is screaming. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> well, he doesn't know for sure either. So that's what I'm pointing out. We, no, nobody knows no. for sure. We all just have what we believe. Exactly. I think I, I have noticed it. And I think I guess I guess because, you know, it's my first rewatch, I go back and I and I think of Varys now and I look, go back and I and I see the different way that he's speaking. And I wonder whether it's just that um, he is more um, extremely sort of overtly playing that part of, um, 
you know, manipulating or or going with whoever he can to kind of meet his own ends. And by the end, I guess all the cards are more on the table or they seem to be more on the table where he, he sides with Daenerys and that's sort of where he's going. It looks like he's going. So um, mm. it sort of fits for me. I mean, I know sometimes in TV shows they take a while to get into their character and, and their voice, you know, can change and, and so on. But, um, yeah, that's just something that I noticed in this scene. Nice. Well, in, in this case, you know... Um, any actor that gets, you know, their character, you know, they have five books of material to draw from, you know, they, you know, the, the series started after Dance of Dragons had been published. So, you know, if they really wanted to know like a big picture for their character, as far as, you know, season five, um, they could get it, which I think, you know, is just kind of wonderful. As an actor, that's so, such a gift to have all that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> which, which makes it even more funny that um, that what's his name, Stannis Baratheon, Stephen Delane, that he was so confused about everything. He had so much source material. <laughs> Poor guy, but you know what? He did such a good job. Yeah, he did. Yeah, you know what? That's funny. And when I, the first time I rewatched the series, I paid really close attention to Varys as well. Yeah. Definitely, me too. What stage did you rewatch? What what? At what stage? So, how many seasons had you seen before you went back? <sighs> I think five. Oh wow! Yeah, I rewatched yeah. immediately because well, I binged it, um, and I had to catch up yeah. really quick, um, and so then at that point, you know, I had just binged it. And then I had watched season five and I think I watched season five again. And then, you know, I had to wait a little longer. I had to wait just a little bit to like do it again. So, but, um, but yeah, it was, I, gosh, I love Varys. Varys is probably one of my absolute favorite characters. Um, and the way that Conleth Hill plays him is just brilliant in every way. He's an amazing Agreed. actor. I've seen him in just one other thing, and I didn't actually recognise him until the very end of the movie when someone told me that it was him. Was that um, oh, wow. Salmon Fishing in the Yemen with Ewan McGregor? Oh, never heard of I've it. I've never heard of that. And it, he plays a guy in that you, you just would not know. He's sort of like a um, – he's he works in an office, and he's – He's got hair and he's like, he just looks and acts completely differently. And yeah, and and he's kind of quite quiet and meek and um, a bit nerdy. And I, I, I thought I recognized him, but it was just his voice. It's like, I know that voice, but where do I know it from? And that's so funny. Um, then I saw the, the credits and I realized it was him. I looked him up on IMDb and I realized it was him and I, I was just blown away. He's the amazing. Jaw on actor. your floor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. wow. That's really that's cool. so cool. So yeah, so, that was my number two was just Varys and Tyrion. Uh, Varian. Haha, <laughs> Varian. All right. Varian. So my number two is just the fact that Arya cheats the god of death yet again, and it seems to be a trend with her. She's not only just capable of surviving and cheating the god of death in that manner, you know, not today, uh, but she also has cheated the god of death from in, in other instances. You know, she saved Jockin and the and Rorgan Biter from the fire. She's, you know, she owes the god of death three deaths, according to Jockin, right? So she has to give him the three names to pay that debt. But then she cheats the god of death again, who she had originally cheated by taking those deaths in the first place and saving those people, and tricks the god of death into committing, you know, into taking more people for her own benefit. And then, you know, she ends up going to the House of Black and White, 
and cheating the god of death there by hiding this by hiding needle and pretending to be nobody and succeeding and fooling them and then cheating the god of death mm -hmm. again by escaping and convincing them not to come after her or so we think at least at this point still she uh, cheated seems the like, god of death by surviving the stab wound yeah mm. she cheated the god of death <laughs> yeah i think that hbo cheated the laws of physics there but uh Still uh, cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but there's just a lot she happening. She beat the in Terminator. This. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, she did. Uh, the wife and the T five hundred. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the wife and I'm killer. remembering that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I don't know. I thought that there's just a lot of cool stuff in this scene. Lots of nice, fun quotes and stuff. So, yeah, actually, it starts off with that scene where she begins to look for Jockin, and it's after she learns that Tywin is planning to march on Rob, right? So she realizes that, oh, man, like, there's a you know a problem immediately. I got to find Jockin and tell him Tywin's name. So she, she runs off and tries to find him. And uh, interestingly, Tywin also is planning on leaving her there as cupbearer to the next guy, and he gave her instructions on not making sure not to let him get drunk, like she was going to be the boss. On the mountain. Is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, on the mountain? That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, which was interesting to me because it was... She, mountain is on her list and she just like goes into full panic mode make sure he doesn't get drunk in the evenings he's she's like oh i will i'll kill him by this own this evening <laughs> she'll spike his wine <laughs> the the only person that she gave to Jockin that was on her list was the tickler right yeah it was just mm. strange to me she could have had the mountain killed at harrenhal and she chose not to it didn't even cross her mind or she was just working yeah. with the the sense of urgency, wasn't she? It was um, as the as as information Basically, comes to hand. She decided mm -hmm. she needed to try to protect her brother, and then she was like, "I just need to get out of here." <laughs> um, yeah. so that was pretty funny. Um, so we get we get another encounter with Rorg, who calls her a little c word, and it used to be a boy, but now it's a girl. That was pretty funny. And then she, they, they get called off to go hunt wolves or Starks, and she's like, shit. So she just gets even more frustrated in trying to find Jockin, and she finds Gendry and Hot Pie, and that's when she grabs Hot Pie by the face, like like um, Billy Madison grabbed that kid by the face in that movie. Stay as young as long as you can. Uh, which is great. So then there's a Arya's theme song comes on, and it's like a like a... It's this ascending scale. Da, 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 da. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but uh, it's like either a xylophone or a harp or something, and it's sort of creating like a sense of wonder and mystery as she's like winding her way through Harrenhal trying to find him. And uh, that's, that's like a cool um, sort of way that this particular um, theme was scored at this time with sort of a militant drum, drum and horn combo behind it as Tywin is preparing to ride um, on the wolves. So that was pretty badass. I liked that music there. And then uh, Jockin finds Arya and tells you know, a girl owes a man a name. It is demanded. And so that's when she ends up manipulating him. Well, yeah, because he was about to leave. Right, yeah, and she and they it, they start talking about you know the logistics of the name giving, and she's like, "Well, how long does it take?" You know, 
And he's like, it could take an hour. It could take a month. Death is certain. The time is not, you know, and she's like, well, that's no good. You know, Tywin's going there now. I need this done now. And she gets pissed at him. And that's why she gives him his own name instead of Tywin. Right. And he has that moment, like you mentioned, um, and when where he kind of realizes how what a force she is to be reckoned yeah. with. And he yeah. uh, kind of spazzes for a second. And he's like, a girl gives a man his own name. And she's like, that's right. You know, and he's like, gods are not mocked. This is no joking thing. And she's like, I'm not joking. A man can go kill himself. <laughs> I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> she's like, I kind of don't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> go kill yourself. I think if I was the god of death, I'd be quite impressed with her. You know, maybe after all this cheating, the god of death, he's actually like, oh, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And he just lets her get away with everything. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And so he's like, unname me. And she's like, no. He's like, please. And he's just like, hey, I'll unname you. Thank you. If you help me, me and my friends escape. And he's like, this would require more than one life. This is not part of our bargain. And she sticks to her guns, right? Fine. Jack and Hagar. <laughs> Get, continues to name him. And uh, that's when he says, like you said, a, a girl lacks honor. And I love that because it referenced the last episode. Um, and then he, cha- he, you know, he finally caves. If I do this thing, a girl must obey. And a girl, a girl will obey. She refers to herself as a girl. This scene, yeah. like we said the first time, really cool. And uh, then he says, a girl and her friends will walk through the gate at midnight. And the Arya theme comes on again, but this time it's a creepy version, plucked on strings over this eerie like pads that are like ebbing, sort of. And uh, so there's two uses of her theme music in this episode and that created or elicited entirely different emotions, which I thought was really cool. Oh, I love that. Just the whole beating the God of Death thing is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we mentioned um, how they end up escaping later, but she does. She obeys. Hot pies rambling about cherry stones in the pies. As she, <laughs> and she's, they're like, shut up, hot pie. He's so obsessed with hot pie. And uh, and I almost called him hot pee because of how he peed himself. <laughs> <laughs> and there's uh, a little, little read the books hint that if you want to, uh, Arya may or may not may play a more active role in Harrenhal murders in the books. So, yeah, you might want to <laughs> you might want to read the books, people. Yes, send us your email and I'll send you a free audiobook. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up my number two. That was excellent. Oh, awesome. thanks. Anwen, how about your numero uno? So, my number one is Jamie and Brienne. Ah. I just. I just love them so much and it was almost a bit of a tease because, you know, it was one of the earlier scenes and I thought, oh, we'll pop back to them again this episode and, and we didn't. Um, it was a bit of a bit of a teaser, but I just love them so much and I love their, <laughs> their scenes that had come later and, um, you know, she's so angry and, and he's just baiting her and he's, he's saying to her, um, have you known many men? I suppose not. Women? Horses? And she gets How so, messed up is that? She's so pissed off with him, and then, and then he says, "You know, you're much uglier in daylight." Yeah, that's and the first thing he <laughs> says to her. How messed yeah, up is that? Yeah, and he's just he's just winding her up so much, and um, you know, we we get a little bit of an echo again of last week's um, episode title. He says, "I took you for a man or a woman of honor," 
And um, so that came up again, which I thought was right. interesting. Great. Um, and just just the the you know the banter between them is amazing because you, you you know they do end up she just hates him so much like if she could she would just kill him right there but she knows that she can't and she's she's been tasked to take him um, with, with her um, so it's a taste of what's to come and, and I wanted more I'm really excited to watch the the rest of their story unfold um, there was an, one one part as well where he, he says. Um, you know, do you think you could? Do you think you could beat me in a fair fight? Um, there are only three men in the kingdoms who might have a chance, and you're not one of them. And I wondered who who those three men are. Are we supposed to know, or they? It was just an offhand comment from him. There's been lots Barristan of debate Selmy about this. Barristan is definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah. Barristan uh, is definitely one of them. Um, Arthur Dane would be one, but he's dead. Oh, I was right? just about to say Arthur Dane. So yeah. He's dead, so he can't be one. Oh, I know. I knew you were going to say that, so that's why I said that. Um, <laughs> Howlin' <laughs> Reed. <laughs> Howlin' Reed. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, pr- probably the Mountain would be on that list. As Maybe we the see. Hound. Yeah. Um, the Hound could be as well. Um, who else is there? I know that there's been a lot of speculation and conversation about this, like whole yeah. things written about this. Um, yeah. And they that, that involve like the, his thoughts that you get in the books too about this. Yeah, um, yeah. It just so throws that out as a on. comment, and it's really cool, isn't it? Because people, it just sparks conversation, and people, you know, you can't, you, you instantly start thinking who who could best him, and um, who do you it's think? Just funny. Um, yeah, probably the the same ones that you said. Definitely the mountain. Um, I mean, I just think it's an illustration for Jamie of how cocky he is. So even in this moment where he's being dragged yes. along in chains, basically he's taunting her and baiting her and saying, well, you know, even Do if it was a fair fight, you couldn't beat me. I think that would be no. an awesome fight, you know, and I think yeah, we, yeah. We, we sort of see them like sparring a little bit later, don't we? Uh, it's right. vague, vaguely in my memory, but um, Ooh, on the bridge yeah. in yeah, the books, yeah. that's the scene where you get some insight into Jamie's thought on this matter. Um, yeah. You know, who, who would, he would fight, who had a chance against him? Um, mm. I can't remember the yeah. details right at this moment, but yeah. I'll post something about it for anybody who's interested. Until he loses his hand. He definitely worships and idolizes Barristan Selmy. Mm. Yes. Holds him in the highest of regards. So I, I would absolutely put him as number one on that list of the three people that could beat him. Mm. And it's almost like if even if Jamie knew that there was more than three, he would say three because those would be the ones that he respects the most or that he um, would really think could do it. Even if there were people <laughs> who he thought might be able to, he wouldn't say them because he's so cocky. Right. He, he only admits to three of them. And it seems like I think it seems like he didn't know much about the Red Viper um, in season four. Right. So because he's sort of watching his fighting style and sort of surprised. So I don't think that he knew enough about the Red Viper for him to consider him as part of these three. Mm. Although he would have certainly been worthy. Yeah, that could be right. Same with Braun. Yeah, he didn't know about Braun either. Um, but wow, Braun would you know, Braun is a he's a badass with a blade, man. Braun being a part of the East Watch 7 would have been awesome. Yeah, imagine that. Oh, yeah. I think that, I, I you know, that how Braun ended up having, like, sort of a tense encounter with the Hound, as we'll see uh, next episode in the bar, right, right as the Battle of the Blackwater is about to begin. Uh-huh, yep. Where they sort of um, are about to fight. You're a talker. 
I don't like talkers or whatever. And uh, <laughs> and Bron is stands up and he, he's got like a whore on his lap, and he's like, "We all just want to have a good time, you know? How about the next drinks on me or whatever?" And they almost go outside to fight, but Bron's got his hand on his kukri behind his back. And then everybody, like, the, the drums start sounding, and everybody leaves to go f- to go for the battle. And they decide to hang back and, and share a drink together before they go and fight. I really can't wait to watch this episode next week. I'm yeah, it's going to be great. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm hoping that that scene next week foreshadows um, seeing Bronn and the Hound fight together in the North um, at some point. Or yeah. you know, just end up fighting on the same team at some point in the future. If Bron had been in the in the East Watch Seven, he would be um, competing with Tormund for the for the the witty one liners. I reckon. <laughs> yeah, for sure, <laughs> definitely. It'd be some stiff competition too. Yeah, they both get great lines. So where are where are we here? That was my number one, and uh, Jamie and Brienne, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I think um, I think we've gone over that one. All right. What about you, Kristen? Oh, um, Jamie and Brienne, I did put ne- um, next to their names, I did put the tiniest canoe in all of Westeros. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. <laughs> it just looked like they were in such, like this toy boat. <laughs> They're both it, just... <laughs> it looks like it was going to capsize even, bef- even before she got in. He's in there and he's sort of tipping and ho- trying to hold uh, on. <laughs> hilarious. Well, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's already taking up like all the space and then all like six foot ten of, of Gwendolyn Christie like <laughs> folds in into armor. this tiny canoe in armor. <laughs> it's just watching them row away. <laughs> I just started giggling. And like I was saying, where did that boat come from? I don't Gendry must have put it there at some point. Ah, Gendry, great. Classic. That's great. <laughs> okay, so my number one. Um so my number one is actually Rob and Catelyn. Um, I went back and forth on, do I want to do Rob and Catelyn or do I want my number one to be Jon Snow? But I'm going to do Rob and Catelyn because I don't talk about them enough. <laughs> um, so I I saw this thing, um, this interview with um, Benioff, uh, Wise and Benioff did, and um, they were talking about how Rob and Catelyn, the first season, um, were very solidified um, in what they were doing, um, and their relationship was very close, and it just made Rob very strong. And they had decided in you know the beginning of season two that by the <laughs> end of season two, the two of them would be kind of torn apart at odds. and at odds, and that was their main goal for the two of them. Interesting. And I think this is where kind of that happens, right? Where he arrests her. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, he, his mother has kind of been a thorn in his side, you know, all along the way of this war. You know, she's she's got this son who's been named king in the north. He is winning his his war. Winning. And yet he still has this mom who feels she needs to parent him. Yeah. And that's, you know, she's become this helicopter mom from hell. And it's totally paralleling Joffrey too, with Cersei saying, you know, he, he's not ready for battle. Some people are meant for that. Some aren't. And Tyrion says to her that, uh, he should be out there. People would respect him. They don't want to see their King hiding behind his mother's skirts. 
So it's the mm-hmm. same sort of thing where you're talking about she, her, her sort of a cat sort of like parenting over Rob. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, Rob has enough respect for his mother to actually arrest pretend. her. Yeah. No, but to <laughs> no, pretend until this point, right? He's at least let her in on strategy and he's let her be a part of things. Yeah, totally different dynamic. But, you know, she goes too far. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, in the middle of the night, she tells Brienne to take their one valuable prisoner. Mm. Yeah, she made the call. Back. She made the call without even consulting. It's a coup d'etat. Yeah. And she did it on information that she got from Littlefinger. Again, <laughs> Littlefinger. Yeah. Only information that was only 50% correct. And correct. In, her, in her credit, she does say to Rob, um, or to her credit, from her perspective, she's under the impression that four out of five of her children are imprisoned at this point. So that's pretty mm-hmm. hardcore. Although we know it's not true. Only one of them actually is, right? Sansa is sort of imprisoned. Arya's free to some degree. Bran and Rickon, she thinks are prisoner, but they've really escaped and they're actually presumed dead or supposedly dead, um, you know, according to the people around Winterfell at this point. So she's totally mistaken from her point of view. But she's also imprisoned her son. I mean, she made a deal for her son with Walder Frey that she never that she never discussed with him. I mean, she came back and said, but she didn't, she, she didn't make the deal a hundred percent. He, he consented and then it was solidified. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it, she shouldn't have been the one doing that. She shouldn't have even agreed to take it to Rob. I mean, that's for a bridge marriage. That's just, that's too much <laughs> to put on her son. You know, if she yeah, thinks that her son should be back at Winterfell or he shouldn't be fighting this battle or whatnot, but she's willing to whore her son out to the phrase for a bridge. You know, it's just her decision-making is completely flawed. I, I love Catelyn Stark. I love how strong she is and how fierce she is and how much she loves her children, but she makes some egregious errors that right. ultimately kill her and her son. Yeah. Right. That's what I was getting to too, is that she does this thing in the night and she thinks she's justified, but a, it's the wrong thing to do strategically and, you know, breaking the chain of command and everything like that. And B, her information wasn't even accurate. You know, she wasn't even Mm -hmm. functioning based on accurate information. So yeah, you're totally right. Um, so I think that once he imprisons his mom. I'm trying to look at the timeline here. <laughs> so Catelyn releases Jamie. Rob imprisons her, tells her, you know, she can't go anywhere. Um, you know, Car Stark is ready to just throat punch her. Um, <laughs> and then, and then he, and then Rob is now, He's at odds with his mom. He's kind of lost that conscious in his ear. And he makes this really bad decision. Um, he follows his heart. Right. And I think right. it's almost like he's rebelling. It's like his rebel phase. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his his black eyeliner and goth period. He's just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to marry her. My mom made me do it. I want to be with you. So I'm going to be with you. You know, it's easy to forget that how young they actually are. You know, they're all teenagers at this point, aren't they? Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I think he's 19. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, yeah, they're yeah. even younger in the books. Well, they... Um, Arya's like Yeah, because they say that it's been... Um, in season one, it had been nine, uh, 17 years since, since Robert's, Robert's Rebellion. Rebellion. I think so, yeah. Mm. And then by season two, it's two years later. Uh, I think that's what I read. Um, that came from... Um, Again, that came from Weiss and Benioff. So that so I so, think he he's supposed to be about eighteen, nineteen years old. Mm. Okay, so when it started, Jon Snow is sixteen years old. <laughs> no, he's seventeen, man. No, when it started. <laughs> <clears throat> well, if it was seventeen years, there's that nine month gestation period, and uh, no, not for Jon Snow. Where? Uh, <laughs> well, he was at the end of Robert's Rebellion, right? Oh, I guess yeah. so. So that's Ned yeah, that's, came home that's, with the baby, and then he had babies. Right. Yeah. So it's been 17 years since the end of Robert's Rebellion. Right. So oh, John, so John's older than so John would be others. 17. Well, I think mm-hmm. uh, Rob is oldest because Ned impregnated Cat mm-hmm. right before leaving for war. You say it so romantically, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> impregnated. Well, I know. Yeah. It's he so inseminated sweet. the subject two days before leaving to head south. <laughs> A very clinical. <laughs> you know what we call those? We call them deployment babies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quick, we've only got a small window. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, my number one is just the whole concept of, you know, Rob rebelling against his mom, the helicopter mom finally getting her wings clipped. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and just kind of <laughs> this is the beginning of the end for them. Yeah. yeah. For both of them. This is where, you know, I, I think I've said this a couple of times with Rob. This is the beginning of the end. But, man, he makes some really bad decisions once he meets Talisa. Yeah. Yeah. Love is the death of duty. Sacrificing everything for someone he loves. You know, the more you love, the weaker you are. All three of us just talk about our own theme with Rob. Oh, yeah. Like, in one little <laughs> sentence each. <laughs> Basically. That's awesome. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, that's awesome. Does that wrap up your number one? Yeah, that's that's my number one. What All about right. you, bud? Before we get to my number one, let's talk briefly about Audible. For you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I actually have used Audible to read uh, Joseph Ellis books. Um, I am a big history buff, and Joseph Ellis is one of my favorite authors for the American Revolution. So I have read um, Founding Brothers, And His Excellency, which is a book on George Washington, which is probably one of the best books I have read uh, on the man. Nice. It's very short. He's my bro. It's a short read, but it focuses mainly on like his character and what made him a really good leader uh, other than just kind of like, here's what he did. So I would highly recommend if you are a history buff, which I assume a lot of listeners are considering how deep we get into the history of the fictional world of Game of Thrones um, to check out that book, His Excellency George Washington by Joseph E. Ellis. And you can get that for free audibletrial.com slash g-o-m 
Again, that is www.audibletrial.com forward slash G-O-M, as in Game of Microphones. You want to hear a fun George Washington fact? Yes. So you've heard me call myself Lord Sterling on the show before. That's an old family title from a guy, William Alexander, who is a major general in the Revolutionary Army under Washington. You may know of him if you're a Revolutionary War um, researcher. Very nice. He, he, he died like right before the war ended. But he was like Washington's number two guy. When Washington left the country, he left the Continental Army under the control of um, Lord Sterling. So after Lord Sterling died, he uh, his daughter was married. And in his absence, George Washington walked my 7X great-grandmother down the aisle at her wedding. That is fantastic. Pretty cool, right? Pretty cool? <laughs> Pretty, you've got a... You've got a tie to George Washington. That's amazing. Also, um, the guy that she married was the son or the brother of a Declaration of Independence signer as well. You New Englanders, man. You guys get all the cool family stuff. I got revolutionary blood. No question about it. My grandmother's family uh, was one of the founding families of Rhode Island. Nice. Which which family? Brown. Oh, Brown. Okay. Yeah, you were telling me about that, actually. Yeah, I remember mentioning yeah. that. And my uh, my guy, I have another rest, uh, restaurant relative, Stukely Westcott, who is, I think, the founder of Providence, <laughs> Rhode Island, awesome. and the first governor of Rhode Island, or something like that. Thanks for your patience, everybody. Back to the show. My number one is Davos being named the Hand of the King. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I love, because Davos is the man, man, you know? So it's the, the scene starts off with Davos talking to Stannis, and um, Stannis is telling Davos how he admires him. And he says, Some highborn fools call you Onion Knight and think they insult you. So you take the onion for your sigil, sew it on your coat, fly the onion flag. And uh, I think that's brilliant, you know? And a lot of, a lot of people do that. They take... You know, like Tyrion says, take what makes you weak and wear it as armor, and they can never hurt you when he's talking with Jon Snow about being a bastard. Mm-hmm. Right? So that also is a recurring theme in this show. And um, in real life, there's a lot of people that have done similar type things. I can't think of anything right now, per se. But uh, yeah, so I thought that was a really cool point. And we learned that Davos's father was a crabber. And that the sons of lords don't like to break bread with other sons' crabbers. Because their hands stink, right? So the uh, the other lords don't really like Davos, and that's why they call him the Onion Knight and sort of like make fun of him and whatever. Um, so mm. Stannis tells him, "Well, where were those lords when Storm's End starved?" Because Davos, you know, rode in through the black of night with his smuggler's ship, and um, and saved the day by br- bringing onions, right? Um, so we we learn the story a bit from. St- from Stannis in this episode, which is hardcore. He gets into it and says, you know, that while there's... And he's bringing it up because he's upset that that Robert gave Storm's End to Renly instead of giving it to him, you know, the older oldest brother um, after, you know, after Robert ended up with the, the Iron Throne and living at the Red Keep. You'd think that it would go to Stannis, and especially after Stannis had sacrificed so much and almost died to protect it. Like, they were starving to death here on Storm's End before Davos saved the day. 
Stannis sums it up by saying, First we ate the horses. We weren't riding anywhere, not with the castle surrounded. We couldn't feed them, so fine, the horses. Then the cats. Never liked cats, so fine. I do like dogs. Good animals. <laughs> Loyal, but we ate them. Then the rats. The night before you slipped through, I thought my wife was dying. She couldn't speak anymore. She was so frail. Then you made it through the lines. Slipped right through in your little sailboat with your onions. And so it just shows you what a badass Davos is, first of all. And then also what, you know, what hell Stannis went through. Only to be shunned by his brother and insulted when he gave Storm's End to Renly. So you can see how, you know, a few episodes back when we first meet Stannis and he's, he's, uh, I mean, not, not like right when we first meet him, but when we're first getting to know him, he's, he's writing the letter to the, the rest of the, the liege lords and, and uh, lords of the kingdoms to explain how Joffrey's a bastard and the guy's transcribing it for him, right? And he's like, to my beloved brother, you know, my, my beloved brother, Robert. And he's like, no, he was not beloved, you know, strike that. And he's like, well, it's a harmless courtesy. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's, it's not harmless it's not courtesy. It's a lie. Take it out. Mm. Right, so you can see that there's, there's real animosity towards Robert um, and probably back and forth. It's built up through the years and it's have, not being given Storm's End is something that he's really pissed about. Well, he has every right to feel pissed yeah, after absolutely. enduring what he endured. And you kind of understand where he's coming from when yeah. he tells that story. Yeah, and it's like his brother didn't stand by him, you know, but Davos stood by him, right? So he loves Davos and mm -hmm. really appreciates him. And we get to learn more and more about Davos as the series goes, but I, f I really like this character and uh, I just love seeing him elevated to the hand position. And uh, the moment where it happens is great. He says, but Santa says, but right now I'm the rightful king by all the laws of Westeros. And when I sit the Iron Throne, you'll be my hand. And he's like, your grace, you know, and take sort of takes a knee. I pray I serve you well. And Stannis's response is, I expect you'll be the first crabber's son to wear the badge. Which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is just a hilarious line. And it goes to show you that, um, Stannis judges people based on their on their merits, you know, which is a, a good aspect of Stannis. You know, mm. you're hired. If you perform, you'll be a leader. You know, you'll be elevated. Yeah. Um. So I I, I like that type of leadership. Um. I don't like everything about Stannis's style of leadership, but I do like that it's not based on nepotism or about who you know or like he doesn't play the politics. game politics. Yeah, it's you're you know judge people are judged not by their their even their their color or their you know their sex or whatever just by their quality of character and their their work output right yeah and so I like that that's cool it was a great moment Davos looked so shocked and so honored it was it was a really sweet moment yeah very touching and it was it remindful of the scene where um, Tyrion is made the hand by Daenerys in Meereen right I love that moment yeah yeah two two of my favorite moments uh, all these moments where people are sort of elevated or taken under the wing of other characters. We've got um, Tyrion being made the hand. We've got Davos being made the hand. We've got Brienne being taken into Catelyn's service. And then again, Brienne being taken into Sansa's service. Sort of oh, these people being made like number two. Such a beautiful twos. scene. Yeah, mm. they're all just such like really cool scenes. So we got one this episode, and that's awesome. So that pretty much wraps up my number one. I'm sure we all still have notes to talk about. Who wants to uh, bring something up? Um, I do. 
All right. I just want to talk about John. Can we talk about John? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my notes too. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Yahoo! <laughs> John Snow is delivered to the Lord of Bones as a prisoner to set the stage. Gosh, I love the wildlings. I love. I I love it. And you know, there's so many times that I've said I wish I could watch this for the first time again. You know. And just to yeah, experience yeah. all of it for the first time again, you know, whenever anybody's like, oh, I'm watching it for the first time, I'm, I'm like, I'm so jealous, you know, and this is, you know, one of those moments because you see the Lord of Bones and, and and you see, you know, that he's actually created this little skeleton suit for himself, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you he's wonder, how staff. many people is that, buddy? Yeah, uh, yeah. people and creatures, because he's got like a giant's head um, as for his face mask at least it looks like right or something something huge yeah it's creepy as hell yeah it's wonderful yeah it's just his whole getup is just terrifying and wonderful um but you know i i just feel like john i i, I touched on it earlier when he realizes that these people died for him right. um yeah, it's it, a great you moment. You can tell it hits him right in the heart. And Corin has now told him, you know, or is trying to tell him that he is going to die for John as well. And it's John crazy. is now going to have to carry this torch. That, yeah. but And what's funny is that um, Sansa says something in season seven when she goes, you know, I'm not a fast learner, but I do learn. <laughs> and then... Uh, Baelish says in the first season about Ned, you know, uh, that he's a slow learner. Yeah. Quick tempers, slow minds. And so I thought the Stark and John is is showing because he's a very slow learner at what Corrin is getting at uh, right. when he's like, you know, you're going to have to do something, you know, please be able to do what you're going to do. And he starts yelling at him and John's like, I did not but I didn't. Like, I don't know. Why are you yelling at me? Yeah. Right. Then he pushes him off the cliff. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and and Ygritte's so, just looking down at him and you can see she's thinking, you know nothing, Jon Snow. And that's you exactly know nothing, what Jon she's Snow. thinking. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's very slow on the uptake of what he's supposed to be doing. But once he learns, you know, what he's supposed to do. It's wonderful. It, it's it's just such a pleasure to see him now and how much he's grown. Yep, and that plays since... into the learning curve that I was talking about last week, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, this is definitely a big moment for him and the fact that he's going to see that the people that have died so that he can live, so that he can lead, so that he can save, uh, basically humankind in Westeros, he's going to see that it wasn't for nothing. And I feel that every decision he makes that weighs on him. Definitely. People that have sacrificed for him and because of him. So. Right. Yeah. I would say the way it weighs on him is very Ned Stark-like. And um, the moment where he finds out is pretty cool, too, because um, remember we were talking about how I had speculated, you know, in tinfoil mode that maybe Corrin had communicated with uh with Benjen, right? So mm. uh so John shows up and gets thrown down by Corin and and uh Ygritte convinces the Lord of Bones that Mance should decide what to do with John. 
And there's that funny moment where he's like, if he runs, I'll cut his balls off. And she's like, if he <laughs> runs, I'll do it myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's cool. When she says to the Lord of Bones, when Ygritte says to the Lord of Bones, you know, um, I think Mansraider is going to want to talk to him. This is, you know, yeah. this is the the bastard of blah, blah, blah. That's when, you know, if if, if you've seen the whole series, you understand Mansraider is getting everybody together so that they can get south of the wall, that they can get away from the White Walkers and the Night King. And so Mance Raider wants to talk to to, to a Stark, absolutely. Yeah, that'll get him closer yeah. to Winterfell. That'll get him across the wall. But one you way know, to humanize if you're the watching it for the first time, you have no idea that that's why he wants, why everybody's pausing. Oh, this is a Stark. Right. And she doesn't want to say that out loud and give away the strategy, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I think he should decide, you know? And Lord of Bones is like, oh, yes, this is probably true. <laughs> the guy's so dumb, I feel like. Well, he's wearing a skeleton suit. So. <laughs> they call him Rattle Shirt also. <laughs> um, which is pretty funny. Oh yeah, so now Jon Snow is even with Egret since Egret since she's saved his life and she says, We're even now, Jon Snow. Yeah, she sort of says we're even and, and it it's almost like the, you know, the debt is paid and we we don't owe each other or anything because you know that whole thing where you save someone's life, then you're, you know, they're in your debt or you're in the right, debt. Right, right. Um and so she says they're they're even, but I think it kind of works almost the other way where they're now kind of got a bond. They're sort of Yeah, now they're on an even playing both, field too. Yeah, yeah. Not neither's beholden to the other, but I think they've both realized at this stage that, you know, where things are going and into yeah, the cave. Yeah, you could change even <laughs> to equal. And it would yeah, fit yeah, pretty well. Exactly. Um, so John is kind of tossed down next to Corin, and he says, "I had my sword at her neck, couldn't do it." And Corin says, "I know." <laughs> you know, and it's like it's like he knows already. You know, which is exactly what we were saying last week. He already knows. He knows he's going to have to sacrifice himself uh, so that John can get in with the wildlings and start do this whole chain reaction. It's like Corin knows everything already. <laughs> you know, so he's already like. Face the fact he's going to have to die here. and he, He's seen like 10 steps ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they were saying. Gran and Ed were saying you, um, rangers oh, don't grow old. Right. That's a great scene, too. We'll have to mention mm. that in a little bit. Um, so he says, the others. And he says, when you didn't come back, we went looking for you. You know, we found your tracks fast enough, but they found us before we found you. And that's when he realizes they died because of me. And uh, he says, see that it wasn't for nothing. See that it wasn't for nothing. Like he already knows that John is important, that he's going to make it not for nothing, you know. It's going to be big. Absolutely. Um, So, and John's just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, um, I like that there's one shot in that scene um, of Egret. I think John's sort of slightly downhill of her and he's looking up and she's carrying his sword. You see it quite clearly in, in that one shot. I thought that was quite an interesting little snippet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When she's looking down at him and she's like, kind of like, it's sort of like slumped in her arm and her, her like hand is sort of dangling. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. I noticed that too. Um, What else you got? I had John and Egret as well. And then I think most of mine are actually covered. We already talked about um, Davos and Stannis. I had that down too. Um, the Tyrion and Bronn show. Um, that was all my notes. I had one kind of revelation. It's not really about the episode, but it was um, 
it was something that came out of watching the episode. So this is it. I thought this was really interesting. So I really love, I mean, I'm sure anybody that's listening to this rewatch and, you know, the two of you, I, I, I just love looking at these characters and how they're developed over seven seasons. Um, and I think that with the Stark kids, and I'm going to include John as a Stark kid um, for this, but we have four Stark kids left and each of them have their own distinct personality. Um, they have their own skills. They have their own path. Um, and, and, and it's very interesting to, to kind of see them separated that way. But I listed them out today, John, Arya, Sansa, Bran, and I listed who their major, um, their major teachers or mentors were across all seven seasons. And when you list it out, you can really see why they are who they are. Um, now going into season eight. So when you look at John, he, his list, uh, and this is from beginning to now, right, would be Ned, Benjen, Jor, Mormont, Corrin, uh, Halfhand, and then Mance, Mance. and Tormund. Um, so you've got those guys. And, you and then you Danny go over to Art. Maybe. I think so. Maybe. I'll have to think about that. At this but point. But okay. I'll put I'll put Danny down. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the reverse <laughs> is down. same the same too, that they're sort of influencing each other. At this point, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you go over to Aria and you have Ned, Sirio, Jacken, and Tywin. Um, and then Jacken again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so and, funny. and you can see how all of those guys are influencing her and have how qualities from those characters have made her the character that she is now. Absolutely. You look at Sansa, you look at Sansa, who I think is really interesting. And you have Catelyn, Cersei, Ramsey, and Littlefinger. And maybe a little Tyrion as well. Oh yeah. Good. I missed out on that one. Oh, and Joffrey. Ah, Although true. Joffrey's, Joffrey's not, but you look hound. at how, but you look at, who she's been with, but her teachers, right? Cersei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would taught her. Ramsey, you know. And Littlefinger. Littlefinger. That's a big one. Yeah, definitely. So, and then Catelyn, you know, taught her how to be a lady, yeah. right? <laughs> but she's this fierce lady, right? I mean, she can see things from all sides and she can be ruthless, but she can also be uh, very kind. And she has more honor in her little finger, haha, than most Uh people do. Um, I think Sansa almost has the most varied, doesn't she? I mean, the other other Stark children, their mentors often sort of fall along similar lines in terms of their values Mm -hmm. or their morals. Sansa's got got it coming from everywhere, all different sides, and obviously Catelyn being first, but all her other mentors or the people that she's been thrown in with. Isn't that interesting? I think that's so interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, that's great And then you look at Bran, and... Bran is really interesting because I didn't put Ned or Catelyn with Bran because I don't really think that either of his parents really influenced him from the start. But I think who it was that influenced him was old Nan. Mm. 
Definitely a big influence. Nan is the one that gave him all those stories that he loved. He loved right. the stories of the White Walkers and Beyond the Wall and the Three-Eyed Raven and all of all right. of those stories yeah, yeah, yeah. that now he's seen come true. So you have old Nan, you have Maester Lewin, you have Osha, Jojen Reed, and then the Three-Eyed Raven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just when you list them all out like that and you see all these four kids... They went off on these really big, different tangents. And now they're all coming back with all of this behind them and with all this incredible, varied skill. Yeah. And it's going to be the ultimate. And it's almost like the Starks are just going to take it all. And I'm excited. And they're going to be so shocked. I mean, that's when the scene, you know, when we finally get to see John and Arya uh, reunite is it's just like Ugh, can't wait yeah the, the two of them yeah the two of them I mean you know the, just think about how much she's changed he's changed too but I mean I guess it's more physically evident with her and 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 then also just her character it's incredible to think about what he's going to think of her he's going to be so proud of her mm-hmm. he's going to mess her hair up and call her little sister yeah <laughs> she's going to slit his throat and say never say yeah. it again <laughs> <laughs> anyways that was just something that um kind of came to me this week that's really cool Kristen. yeah that was a really 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 great point i liked it a lot other funny things to mention about this episode Tyrion and bron had some funny interactions about bron clipping his nails right so married couple you don't want me doing this you don't want me doing that why am i here (laughs) Yeah, you don't want me cleaning my nails. You don't want me looking your way. What am I doing here? <laughs> He's supposed to be helping plan the defense of King's Landing. He's sitting there, like, scraping his nails and stuff. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. great. Uh, so that was pretty good. Oh, Grand Sam, and Ed digging in the snow. Great scene. We mentioned glass. it briefly. But, yeah, we've got some dragon glass. But <laughs> Dolores Ed always making some comedy, right? Sam's like, I'm not cut out for this type of work. And Ed's like, I always imagined myself doing something much worse. And Gren's like, we're digging latrine pits at the end of the world. I can't imagine anything worse. And Ed's like, you lack imagination. <laughs> Ed's always, you know, able to put things in perspective in a funny way. I love so it. It's quite cool as well. That scene it, it came quite quickly after the um the scene with the with Tyrion and, and Bronn and the books and I thought it was quite a, a nice little um nod there where you see Sam's book learning is helpful oh. to him. You know, like he, he's he's a bit of a scholar and Oh, it's dragon glass. Yeah, so he instantly he can read the um the inscriptions. He knows what all of the, the um the words mean. This is from the first men. Yeah, I thought that was re- that was really cool. Yeah, that's great. Point. Shows his strengths. I like that too. That little enticing bit of history that you know, there's these dragon glass uh, daggers out there underneath markings of the first men, wrapped in a cloak of the Night's Watchmen. You know, like of a, a Black Night's Watch cloak. So it's kind of yeah. like, what the hell happened here? Um, and it's right by this significant location, the Fist of the First Men. So, like Gren said, it's like they wanted it to be found. Um, but it's a really great scene. I love all that. Um, Sam's wondering where John is because he's got a total man crush on him. And he's like, <laughs> you know, it's true. And he loves John so much. And Ed's like, a betting man would go with dead. And Sam won't, won't buy it. You know, he's like, but he's a great fighter. And Gren's like, better than me and a lot better than you. Right. And he's like, he has a Valyrian sword, you know. And 
and Ed's like, so did his father. You know, but great rangers never get old. It's the problem. The shit ones neither. It's them in the middle that last a long time, right? Mm. Um, so that that was cool. Like I like that little scene. I like the um, we got to see Podrick, you know, just for a couple seconds, but that was funny. And that's... oh yeah, he was looking a little bit less um, svelte than he is now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he sort well, of he has a part now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he uh, he sort of was gave Tyrion a good smile when they were joking about how Joffrey shouldn't be king, and uh, that was that great scene where Joffrey and or sorry Tyrion and Cersei are sort of jabbing at each other. Cersei says that yeah. Tyrion has a fascination with young boys like Varys, you know, talking about Podrick, and Tyrion asks if she's been slaving away over the lamprey pies all day, implying that she never does anything. Um, and uh, Tyrion says, remember, do you remember Jamie at 17? And she says, better than you. And I'm thinking, that's for sure. She saw him naked a lot. So, so that's definitely true. And um, that's when they're saying, when Tyrion's saying that Joffrey should arm up and stand with the soldiers, basically. And that's pretty funny. Um, and Cersei's just awful, as we always awful. say. You know. So it, the horn that they found. Right. I mean, it, it's just kind of the aside, but that's the horn of winter, isn't it? We don't know. I mean, it could be. It's certainly speculated. I mean, it's hiding with the dragon glass, which is what you use to fight off white walkers. It's supposed to be in the, the tomb of Joraman, right? But uh, we don't know. It's, yeah, it's all speculation. It could certainly be. It's cracked, isn't it? It's kind of yes. busted. Uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Definitely wonder. Because that's what I noticed. I was like, are we not going to talk about the horn? We're just going to talk about the glass? You guys right. don't want to at least pick it up? Nobody <laughs> wants to touch it. <laughs> it's dragon glass. Yeah, interesting. I like to uh, just call it obsidian. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Sam with his book knowledge, right? Um, I liked Talisa's little story about explaining how she got into healing people after her brother was like almost drowned. That was a really lovely scene. Mm. Yeah. And I I thought it was cool to mention of the man with the fish tattooed on his face who saved him. And uh, that was just like they she briefly explained that um, it's a reference to slaves and Volantis having tattoos on their faces. But that's something we see a lot more of in the books, for sure. Um, you see all kinds of stuff tattooed on people's faces. I thought it was interesting that she mentioned that the slave like, pushed her right out of the way and started performing CPR. And that would have been a death yeah. sentence, but he did it anyway. Saved his life. Yeah. And that's what like breaks Rob. And he's like, I don't want to marry the Frey girl. Yeah. And that sexy time. I don't want to marry her. I don't want you to either. And the complicated <laughs> undoing of all the thongs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. The leather, yeah, the leather strappings of his top. Taking yeah. so long. <laughs> and then he's got to spin her around and do the same thing with her uh, corset. She's not wearing one, obviously, but just there. Well, that dress just came right off. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> She's got the charwoman outfit on. It's good to be the king. Uh, oh, we get the first mention of the god of tits and wine in this episode, <laughs> yeah, that was right? Classic. The Lord of Light wants his enemies burned. The the drowned god wants them drowned. Why are all the gods such vicious cunts? Where is the god of tits and wine? 
<laughs> and then, you know, obviously in a couple seasons, he's drunk and saying, I am the god of tits and wine. <laughs> so he <laughs> takes it on as his own moniker, which is great. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's mine now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's hilarious. Um, and various response saying, in the Summer Isles, they worship a fertility goddess with 16 teats. We should sail there immediately, Tyrion says, which is great. <laughs> and that's a really cool wall thing that they're uh, leaning on in that scene with Tyrion and Varys, with Varyon. Um, I wonder where they shot that. It's a pretty, pretty beautiful location. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, where? Where uh, Tyrion and Varys were having that discussion. Oh, yeah. Was it? I it's think not they Spain? Shot, I don't I know. I think they shot some of that stuff in Dubrovnik. Yeah, oh yeah, King's Landing tends to be Dubrovnik, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And they may have shot some of old King's Landing in Morocco. They may have changed locations oh, yeah. at some point. Um, I could be That's mistaken, nice. though. Did you notice that Tywin called Joffrey a Lannister? Uh, I did not notice that. Interesting. Oh, called him a Lannister. Lannister. He says, a king who runs will not be king for long. Huh. Yeah. Those, uh, are the, my, were, those were my two takeaways. Interesting. For that. <laughs> I don't but remember yeah, calling him Lannister. Lannister. Very interesting. I wonder if it was a, a Freudian slip, like he knows about the incest and understands it's true. Oh, yeah. Dagmar wants to leave the burned boys up for a few more days, and Theon doesn't want to, and Theon wants to give gold to the farmer. Um, Dagmar says he's just kill him instead. Oh, he's brutal, wasn't he? <sighs> and then Lewin takes a closer look at the bo- at the bodies. Yeah, that was brutal. Um, yeah, so that Lewin guy's the worst. Yeah, he is. He's terrible. And then, uh, <laughs> oh, and then it's revealed at the end that Osha has saved Bran and Rickon. Right, as Lewin looks at the bodies. Mm-hmm. He sees that the burnt legs aren't atrophied like Bran's legs would be uh, because he's crippled. So it's, you know, tiny little muscles uh. and stuff. And it really recognizes that the boy was different than Bran physically. So he goes down to the crypts and starts, you know, eventually he ends up in the crypts, he looks for them. And that's where he discovers Osha, who tells him about what happened. And she says, we walked through the streams to throw off the hounds. Hoped this would be the last place they'd think to look. And he says, you're right so far. And uh, she asks, who is that out there hung up at the gates? Must must have been the farmer's boys. And uh, so he says that, yeah, they, he killed them and burned them and passed them off as little as the little lords. And uh, they decide that Bran and Rickon shouldn't know, but Bran hears anyway because he's awake. Yeah. So what you guys got from that, too? You think Bran heard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. quite a moment. Yeah. And that's uh, that wraps up my notes. Cool. I'm done. I'm good. Yeah, me too. All right. We will be back shortly with some news, so stay with us. Cool. Blah, 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 blah. You take a mortal man. I'm telling mother. Oh, you can't. Don't touch him. And put him in control. I am the king. The king can do as he likes. Watch him become a god. Our king does not ask. He commands. Yeah. Watch people's heads so, roll. Sir Ellen, bring me his head. Tell 
with news about Game of Thrones. Take it away, Lady Kristen. Thank you. Uh, this article comes from winteriscoming.net. Actors behind Liza Aaron, Marcella Baratheon, and Roz are coming to Con of Thrones. The second annual Con of Thrones is coming to the Hyatt Regency Dallas in Dallas, Texas on May 25th. A celebration of all things Game of Thrones and a song of ice and fire. Tickets for the event are now on sale through the Con of Thrones website. And if it's anything like the 2017 gathering, it'll be a delight. (laughs) Mischief Management has announced a trio of new celebrity guests for the convention. First up is Kate Dickey, who Game of Thrones fans will know as the memorably unstable Liza Aaron. She was in the new Star Wars movie, if you guys didn't catch that. I did not know that. Yeah, I think she was working at Amy, a computer at some point for the um, the Rebels or out of one side or the other. <laughs> Sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh, very cool. Amy Richardson, who played Marcella Baratheon in seasons one and two, will also be there. Again, this year's Con of Thrones will start on May 25th at the Hyatt Regency Dallas in Dallas, Texas. It'll last through May 27th, a glorious three-day weekend full of panels, interviews, discussions, workshops, and more. Nice. That sounds cool. Yes. I go. <laughs> yeah, right. Our next item is an article from winteriscoming.net. Sci-fi gives a series order to Night Flyers based on George R.R. R. Martin's story. Get hype, George R.R. R. Martin fans. You're about to have even more of the Song of Ice and Fire's creators work in your life. Per Entertainment Weekly, Sci-Fi announced it will pick up Night Flyers, a show based on Martin's 1980 novella of the same name, to series. The horror-sci-fi combo was most recently in the pilot phase of production, but Sci-Fi must have liked what they saw, and having Martin's name on it can't hurt. Lest you be worried that this will distract Martin from other projects, we should note that Martin won't actually be involved in making the show. Even if he wanted to, his development deal with HBO prevents it. Although he is pleased it's happening. The story of Night Flyers summarized. Eight maverick scientists and a powerful telepath embark on an expedition to the edge of our solar system aboard the Night Flyer, a ship with a small, tight-knit crew and a reclusive captain, in the hope of making contact with alien life. But when terrifying and violent events begin to take place, they start to question each other, and surviving the journey proves harder than anyone thought. Martin recently met with writer creator Jeff Bueller and showrunner Daniel Cerrone in Los Angeles and seemed enthused about the show's prospects. While it departs considerably from my novella in certain details, the essence of the story remains the same, and I thought the teleplay was quite strong on its own terms and a good launching point for a series. So that's cool. I can't wait to see how that turns out. Yeah, that sounds like that could be pretty interesting. Definitely. Definitely. And there's more uh, to that article if you want to check it out. Uh, the article had some spoilers in it, so I cut it out. At winterscoming.net. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
The next item is from Watchers on the Wall. Game of Thrones receives nominations for visual effects and sound mixing. Nominations will continue to roll in for Game of Thrones as the entertainment industry's 2017-18 awards season ramps up, with the series garnering nominations for sound mixing and visual effects from the Cinema Audio Society, CAS, and the Visual Effects Society, BESS. Beyond the, Wa- Beyond the Wall, the sixth episode of season seven was nominated by CAS for Best Sound Mixing in the category of one-hour television episodes. No less than five members of the sound crew are in the running for the award, including Ronan Hill, brother of our favorite master of whispers, Conleth Hill. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, winners will be announced on February 24th. Beyond the Wall is also one of three episodes of Thrones nominated today by VES for Outstanding Animated Character. Although, to be specific, it's the undead polar bear from the episode who is being honored. Yes, the project that Dave Benioff and D.B. Weiss had to have but was hated by the visual effects team paid off as one of three nominations. The other two are Drogon meeting John in Eastwatch and raining fire on the enemy during the loot train battle from the spoils of war. Oh, yeah, that polar bear has no chance. (laughs) Overall, overall, Thrones earned the most nominations of any television series with seven, including Outstanding Visual Effects, Outstanding Created Environment, Outstanding Effects Simulation, and Outstanding Compositing. Winners will be announced on February 13th. Nice. Drogon meeting John was... Fantastic. Mo- yeah. Moment. Mm-hmm. Really, really great effects. <laughs> I watched. Did you watch the making of that scene? I did, but I don't remember too much about it. I remember that John was tethered uh, because they were worried he was going to fly off the mountain because uh, his cape was acting some, as a sail. Essentially, it was a really windy day. <laughs> Funny pictures. There's and video some from good that. outtakes of him pretending yeah, flapping he's his Batman. wings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Batman! That's what he was doing. It's great. Sure looked like it. I guess maybe it could be anything flapping the cape around it was classic yeah yeah that was a really really impressive scene for sure Arden. um i also i'm gonna um upload a picture of the polar bear the undead polar bear because i had to actually check out what they were talking about so i'll post a picture of that on instagram and facebook uh later either later tonight or tomorrow so that nice. there's a reference yeah, it's pretty cool, The uh, like the different layers of effects that they did on that. I watched a behind-the-scenes thing on that. Um, we can post of that if I can find it, too. Yeah, Yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. We'll post that. I think it's behind-the-scenes in just the making of that one specific episode, um, Eastwatch, or Beyond the Wall, it's called. Um, yeah. Our next He's item. It's not called Eastwatch 7? <laughs> no, it should be, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it should be at this point. Definitely. Our next item is the continuation of our exploration of the editorial series from WinterIsComing.net, and that is Game of Thrones as Myth. Today we'll look at Jon Snow as the archetypal hero. What is an archetype? In fantasy and myth, certain types of characters constantly appear. Stalwart heroes, odd mentors offering talismans, threshold guardians and their tests, dangerous shapeshifters and otherworldly shadows... Dark villains, sly tricksters, and more. As you scan the above list, you can probably drop some Game of Thrones characters into one category or another. 
or even into multiple categories. The series, this, this series that we're covering examines how Game of Thrones characters fit into the archetypal frameworks developed by mythologist Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces, and the more modern version by Christopher Vogler, the writer's journey. Campbell argues that human beings are biologically hardwired to understand the symbolism and expression of character archetypes. Otherwise, we would be incapable of participating in the shared human experience of storytelling. So let's tackle our hero, Jon Snow. Birds chirping. Yay! <laughs> the word hero is derived from the Greek word heros, which means something along the lines of warrior and defender. A hero is someone who is ready to sacrifice to protect the greater good. In fact, the hero must sacrifice in order to transform himself and the world he is attempting to save. There you go, Anwen. Yeah? For the mythological hero is the champion not of things become, but of things becoming. That's a quote by Campbell. Interesting. Jon Snow is perhaps the story's most obviously traditional hero. Even his last name, a signifier of his bastardy, offers symbolic nods to whiteness and purity. He is an orphan, an unwanted son whose birth took place under vague circumstances, carried into a land of exile where his new mother, Catelyn Stark, refused to love him. Snow's true lineage is mysterious. Whether he's actually the product of Eddard Stark's extramarital affair, as we're told, is hotly debated. And now, so this was written a long time ago. Yeah, this was uh, after season five. Okay. And the truth may now be buried with Ned. These inauspicious beginnings anchor Snow in the traditional hero role presented by Campbell and Vogler, where the hero is frequently unrecognized or disdained. Now let's examine John through the lens of Vogler's psychological and dramatic functions of the hero. Psychological function of the hero. The character of Jon Snow enters the story of Game of Thrones as a young man seeking his destiny. He is thoughtful and honorable, but also uncertain of himself and forever an outsider within his adopted family. From the beginning, Jon Snow seeks his own place and completeness. For him, a bastard son with no claim or title, that means becoming a member of the Night's Watch. However, membership of the Night's Watch does not complete John, as his aloofness and well-developed fighting skills set him apart from the others, and so his hero's quest to find his place in the world must continue. Dramatic Function of the Hero Audience Identification We all need somebody to root for in a story, especially in one of in one as unpredictable and bloody as Game of Thrones, and Jon Snow serves up until the end of season five, at least, as one of the show's three main viewpoint characters, along with Tyrion Lannister and Daenerys Targaryen. As a hero, Jon has qualities, both good and bad, we can all identify in ourselves, and that allows us to see the world right through his eyes. Yes, indeed. Dramatic function of the hero. Growth and flaws. We become attached to the character of Jon Snow because we watch him grow up. We witness his personal isolation and his, and his first journey from his home to the wall. We see him develop from a boy into a man. We experience his pain as he learns of his family's misfortune, his sense of helplessness at being unable to assist them, his awakening to an understanding of the oath he gave to the Night's Watch, love versus honor. We see his first affair, his love affair with Ygritte, his betrayal of her and the wildlings, and her eventual death. 
We see him become Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, thus fulfilling the potential Ned Stark, Jor Mormont, and even Mance Raider sensed in him. And we see, perhaps, the final snuffing out of hope Jon represented when he was killed, he's referencing. Like all good hero characters, Jon Snow is both heroic and flawed. His ironclad sense of honor is both a strength and a glaring weakness, as I mentioned earlier. This article mm -hmm. goes on to compare this to Ned, honor even getting them both killed. Dramatic function of the hero, sacrifice and facing death. Sacrifice, not strength or courage, is the true mark of the hero. Jon Snow, like Hector in the Iliad and Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, is willing to sacrifice mm. his life in defense of the greater good, for he has become a watcher on the wall. In his Night's Watch oath, Jon relinquishes, relinquishes marriage, property, children, and titles, all traditional life goals in which many men find fulfillment. After that, Jon continually risks loss and death. He defies Alistair Thorne to protect Samuel Tarly as soon as he arrives at Castle Black, and again later, when he mercy kills Mance Raider. Sacrificing the goodwill of his superior, he rides north of the wall to confront whatever horrors await him there, sacrificing his safety. He kills the legendary corn half-hand, sacrificing his claim to brotherhood, in order to gain the trust of Mance Raider. He betrays Ygritte so he may return to the Night's Watch, thus sacrificing his chance at love. And he ultimately risks, and perhaps loses, his life by attempting to unite the wildlings with the southerners. In conclusion, Jon Snow's character in Game of Thrones fits the hero archetype in the traditional Campbellian sense. He is an unwilling hero, plagued by doubts and often forced down his path by others. But he is a true hero nonetheless. I would agree with, with this article, absolutely. This would have been a fun article to see um, updated to right now because I feel yeah. like Jon's second life has been just just as packed in season six and season seven as it was in the first five seasons of the show. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. His second life I like that. We'll be right back with Raven's calls. <laughs> Matthew Rep. Once again, I am seeing foreshadowing everywhere. When Tyrion tells Cersei the most important thing about whores, you don't buy them, you only rent them. He is only trying to downplay his relationship with Shay and feels confident in her love and loyalty. Sadly, Tyrion was telling Cersei the truth in this case after Shay betrays him in season four. It is also so strange thinking back to my first watching and rooting for Roose Bolton and his bastard to hurry and save Winterfell. How naive <laughs> we were. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Mandy Castillo writes, Ooh, that look of pure smug victory on Cersei's face when she thinks she has Tyrion's lover captive just makes me want her to suffer the ultimate poetic justice in the last season that much more. <laughs> I forgot how funny it is to watch Talisa and Rob try to passionately remove such complicated clothing, but it is such a beautiful scene. Oh, Mandy, that's exactly what I thought. That's awesome. Hilarious. <laughs> It's also the beginning of the end for both of them, sad face. There are so many great moments I'm enjoying revisiting, especially when it's revealed our little lords are still alive. Ugh, and that darn Theon just gets slimier and slimier this season. I hate what he has to go through in order to start his redemption arc, but I can't imagine hating him more than I did during season two. R.I.P. Mm -hmm. The Farmer's Orphan Boys. How about most choppable head? Number one, Ramsay. Just Ramsay. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, Mandy. Yeah, thanks. I agree. Lucy Roberts says, 
Love the start of this beautiful friendship. Varian is my new name for this fabulous duo. <laughs> Lucy Roberts, good job on yes. the uh, Tyrion and Varys uh, name meld. Definitely. Yes, Varian. <laughs> Dave Halberg says these past few episodes have highlighted Theon's extremely punchable face. This story arc where he goes to Pike and then takes Winterfell is when his punchable face is at its peak. We forget about his punchable face because his cock was removed and he became reek for several seasons. But I think Theon has the most punchable face in the entire show. <laughs> You can argue and say that Joffrey or Ramsay have a more punchable face, especially Joffrey. But watching Theon shrilly announce that he's a prince as he prances around Winterfell with that smug, sneering look on his face is too much to overcome. You should do a power ranking of Game of Thrones' most punchable faces. Here is mine. <laughs> One, Theon. Two, Ramsay. Or, sorry, Joffrey. Three, Ramsay. Four, Meryn Trant. Five, Janice Slint. That is a good list right there. I can get behind mm. that list for sure. <laughs> we should totally do that list. too. Power ranking of Game <laughs> of Thrones most punchable faces. We'll, uh, That's yeah. great. I love it. <laughs> we'll prep for that and get it done. That's awesome. Okay, so this one's from Lady Nitty of House Kerda. Serda. Good Hope job. I said that right. I think that's right. Hi, Duncan and, and Kristen. I've never written in before, so I'm pretty excited about this since it's my first time. I've been trying to keep up with the podcast, but it's been tough since I'm reading the books at the same time. Your subliminal message worked. Haha, ha, joking. <laughs> Read the books. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of comments over things you've already covered, so please bear with me. First off is Quaith and her powerful potential relationship with the faceless men. When I saw her mask and dress, I couldn't help but picture the wall where all the faces for the faceless men are displayed. I know the shape isn't exactly the same, but that's maybe a way of making it less obvious. Just a random thought. Huh. Sincerely, Nettie. I'm going to have to look. Just a grid pattern. Thanks so much for writing in, Nettie. We saved the second half of your message for Blackwater. The next one is from Archmaester Rennie. Dear Dark Warrior and Bright Lady of the Podcast. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> a note on the previous podcast. If the cat spa blade is going to stand in for Dark Sister instead of Dark Sister appearing on the show, and Arya is going to kill White Walkers with it, then she's going to have to get awfully close to the White Walkers to do it. Scary. Yeah. On the question of Archmaestress, well, that's probably what they'd be called in the Citadel if women <laughs> were allowed to study there. But I think I'll stick to Archmaestress since, for all you know, I might just be a faceless man masquerading as a woman, masquerading as Renly, masquerading as an <laughs> Archmaester. <laughs> she doesn't know that we know that they know that we know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. As for the Prince of Winterfell, this is an episode full of scenes of awesome women. Number one, I love the way Yara just rides in circles <laughs> around Theon. She's yes. so much smarter and so and so much a better warrior than he is. Don't die so far from the sea, she says. And he doesn't die, but it would perhaps have been easier for him if he had. Yeah, for real. Oh, yeah. Number two. When the Lord of Bones says if Jon Snow's runs, he'll cut off his balls. And Egret says, he runs, I'll cut him off myself. You bet she would. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Num <laughs> Number three, Brienne to Jamie. All my life, men, men like you have sneered at me. And all my life, I've been knocking men like you into the dust. Yeah. Yeah. 
Number four, Arya outmaneuvering Jockin by naming his own name is perhaps the most awesome of all in this episode. And no, Talisa doesn't count in this tally of awesome women. She and her story are so clearly a creation of Benioff and Weiss rather than Grimm. The story is just too anachronistic. I see no point to the substitution of this character for the book character. The only saving grace is that Una Chaplin is hot. <laughs> Archmaester Rennie. Yeah, she is. Thanks, Archmaester. Um, you made, made me think of, you know, how we're talking about honor being Ned's strength and weakness. I think Jamie's mm-hmm. strength and weakness is his confidence because he, uh, yeah. he rolls a hard six every time for a little Battlestar Galactica reference there. Um, and, you know, he jumps off the cliff before thinking about it. And a lot of times it works out for him because he's really talented, but uh, it also ends up being his downfall on a number of occasions. Yeah. You could make an argument that honor is also his oh, strength. Yeah, and weakness as well. as well, for sure. The whole Kingslayer thing is comes down to his sense of honor, right? And that's his greatest stain on his oh, reputation. His, mm-hmm. Three children. Yeah, that whole thing too. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, thanks, Archmaester Rennie. Thank you. Always nice to hear from Archmaester, Maestress, but yes. not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> next, we have an email from Lady Caroline of the House Collins. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. I finally had time to write for this week. So excited for the original road trip team, Jamie and Brienne, with a heart emoji. They already talk Big about heart. F- yeah. They already talk about <laughs> fighting each other. Brienne says maybe one day they'll have a fair fight. Jamie is on his way to Winterfell now, so maybe we'll get to see them fight in season eight. I know they'll be on the same side, but this his arrival and reunion with Bran might not be the friendliest. Can't wait. Although it wouldn't really be fair at this point, with the since, since he doesn't have his hand. Something I noticed recently: John, Daenerys, and Tyrion's mothers all died in childbirth. Childbirth. So I know Grim meant Grim meant to have them connected in some way. I originally thought that they were all Targaryens and that they would all ride dragons, but we also have Arya and Sansa, John's two, quote, sisters, to mirror the original Aegon's two sisters. I would imagine Arya is much more deadly as a warrior than Tyrion, whose place is more strategic than anything else. It's established in the books that you don't have to be a Targaryen to ride a dragon, but certain stronger dragons require a strength of character to manage them. The warging ability of the more Starky Starks might be a good trait for controlling a dragon. Also, if Kristen is right and Arya ends up with Dark Sister, it would complete the package to have her on a dragon, as Visenya was. Nobody mentions the horn they find... fulfill her dream, too. Yeah, totally. Nobody mentions the horn they find with the dragon glass. Obviously, they use it to signal the White Walker's arrival, but was it the horn? I never noticed it. That's what I'm saying! Yeah, (laughs) I never noticed it before, and I looked it up. Although it is black with gold bands engraved and with runes of the first men, it is not eight feet long as the horn is in the books um, that that Mance claims is Jorman's Horn of Winter. It may have just... It may have been added just to reinforce the three blasts we know is coming soon, but I thought it it was cool, and yeah, that's true. It may just be foreshadowing that. But I thought it was cool, and I bet I wasn't the only one to to notice it. No, you were not. Yeah. <laughs> I also didn't recognize the rune on the stone they found. Maybe someone else caught that? I'm a lot more cognizant of everything at the Fist of the First Men this time around because I find that history stuff so fascinating. 
Davos's father was a crabber. Makes me wonder if he has had that first-hand experience with a fermented crab, like you mentioned on the beach with Gendry in season seven, right? It's an aphrodisiac. Oh, yeah. Give those guys a little bit. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the god of tits and wine. I love Tyrion so much. Tyrion does have a refreshing take on religion, but I noticed various looks profoundly uncomfortable with him speaking of it in such a jovial manner. He changes the subject pretty quickly to Daenerys. One game at a time. Great foreshadowing for their shared future. It was funny in that this. scene. Yes. I love this girl. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny in that scene how Joffrey says he'll give Stannis a red smile, and you guys were talking about the Joker just last week. You guys are nailing it on so many levels. Haha. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for a great podcast. I'm loving the added bonus of the mythology and the religion segments. It's all very cool and makes me makes the podcast podcast so much better. Thanks again. You're a welcoming, la- oh. welcome, Lady Caroline. I agree. I loved all of that. Yeah. yeah, great email. She's nailed it. I got stuck on the John's two sisters, and then I just like I I went away for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> had to come back and be like, oh, wait, we're doing a podcast. Hang on. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Classic. Lord Tom of the Misty Moor, Sir Duncan and Lady Kristen, I'm back quaithing you again this week. <laughs> I really enjoyed last week's podcast and it got me really excited for this one. I've watched the episode a few times on the run up. Here are my thoughts on the Prince of Winterfell. Obviously, there are a lot of cool things in this episode. The discovery of the dragon glass at the Fist of the First Men being the main one for me. There are some callbacks and clues from season one also. Firstly, there are many references to Ned Stark in this episode, which shows that Ned's legacy is still so strong. Egret refers to John as Ned Stark's bastard, which Corrin Halfhand calls him too, and the Lord of Bones refers to him as a dead man's bastard, so news of poor old dead Ned has obviously reached them north of the wall. I imagine the mention of the Stark name stirs feelings of hate in the wildlings, but I can't imagine they have the same negative feelings towards bastards as those in the Seven Kingdoms. There are probably thousands of bastards north of the wall. There's a couple of mentions to Joffrey's bastardhood too. When Tywin is discussing Rob's movements with his war council, he says to Kevin's suggestion that... Cersei and Joffrey flee the capital. No, a king who runs will not be king for long. He's a Lannister. He'll stand and fight. <laughs> Does this hint that even Tywin knows that the rumours about Cersei and Jaime's incest are true? Also later, when Tyrion and Cersei are trading snipes at each other and discussing Joffrey's role in the defence of King's Landing, Cersei says, his place is not on the battlefield, to which Tyrion replies, it's not on the throne either, sadly for all of us. <laughs> it's just what you were saying, Duncan, hey? Yeah. That's cool. Great one. And he goes on, the scene between the two Lannister siblings is quite telling of the layers of scheming that Littlefinger has put in place. Cersei references the Lannister lion necklace that they found on Roz. This was given to Roz by Tyrion in season one, episode five, The Wolf and the Lion. As Ron ends up in Baelish's employ once she comes to King's Landing, it follows that he is the one that led Cersei to discover Roz in the necklace. This begins the train of events that led to the Purple Wedding. My favourite wedding. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great wedding. We also see the reach of Varys' spider web in this episode. He says to Joffrey, I have many little birds in the north, my lord, but I haven't heard their songs since Theon Greyjoy captured Winterfell. Two things stand out to me here. Firstly, Varys refers to Joffrey as my lord and not your grace. No one picks up on this, but this would have been pretty disrespectful. Oh, yeah. 
We know mm. that he was working with Illyrio Mopatis and is a Targaryen supporter. Some theories suggest that he might be a Blackfire. So this is not surprising, but Varys normally hides his thoughts better than that. Secondly, we know that the- Theon has killed all of the ravens, so perhaps this is the reason Varys has not heard any songs. Or we know that the spider prefers to use orphan children as his little birds. Could the two orphan boys that Bran sent to work on the farm have been Varys' spies? <laughs> Once Theon killed them and burnt Whoa. them, they could no longer get messages to him. Wow. That's a great yeah. question. I like it. Jamie claims there are maybe three men in the entire Seven Kingdoms that have a chance of beating him in a sword fight. Who do you think he thinks they are? Well, we covered that. So um, he suggests um, Barristan Selmy, perhaps in his younger days, and Sandor Clegane, and who else? So, yeah, I'm I'm glad you picked up on that too. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I also noticed a couple of weird things to do with faceless men. Shay says, I'll cut off their faces to try and reassure Tyrion that they'll be safe. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's not connected with the House of Black and White, but I thought it was an interesting choice of words. Also, Jacken swears by the seven new gods and the old gods beyond counting. Do you think this is strange of his to say? I'm still a bit confused on the religion of the many-faced god. Can we have a podcast episode dedicated to the religions of Westeros? Many other people have covered this subject, but it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. So the the House of Black and White, they sort of have idols of all the gods there because they consider the many-faced god to be manifested in the many faces of all the other gods that people worship. So that's yes. that's what the many-faced god means when they say that. The one true god that all the other religions try to represent with their own interpretations of the gods, uh, essentially. Exactly, yeah. No, that's cool. And yeah. he's got a couple more points here. Um, Hot Pie is talking about crushing up cherry stones and mixing them with his pie crust. Did you know that cherry stones actually contain cyanide, so this could potentially poison those who might eat it? <laughs> So do apple seeds. Mm, Hot pie. Yeah, Yeah. apple seeds contain cyanide too, just tiny little bits. Or wait, no, maybe that's arsenic. I don't know. Uh, Something bad. My friend had a a restaurant in Old Lyme, Connecticut called Cherry Stones. I used to go there all the time. Uh, It's a really good place. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad you didn't die. Steve Martin used to play banjo there occasionally. Uh, Yeah, glad I didn't die too. (laughs) the last point that tom makes here is lastly the word cunt is said five times in this episode (laughs) is that a record for game of thrones (laughs) five or six loving uh, the podcast seven blessings on you both lord tom of the misty moor i love our listeners yeah i just have to say what great feedback this week i mean just so insightful and you know at times a little mind-blowing um I just, I really, really appreciate every single one of you. It's just wonderful to hear from, to hear from them and, 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 and know that everybody's getting into it just as much as we are. And it just makes it for a great, great group of people to talk to every week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And it's so cool how they, they're all bringing up things that we've already discussed. And I think that happens most weeks because, you know, it's really cool. It's like getting to watch it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Pete's Corner. Pete's Corner. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we do. We have Pete's Corner. Sir Pete of Longwood. Pete's Corner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, guys. I read somewhere that George originally wrote Resnack Mo Resnack as a character named Resnack Trent Reznor, leader of a company of swords with fingernails half a hundred inches long. 
Reznor and his band of killers were feared wherever Guy Liner was a thing. Their words <laughs> were, you think the Night's Watch wears black? But alas, this was just another of many battles with his editors that George lost. Do you guys know if this is true? That You're one's the best. true for sure. <laughs> that one actually is canon so <laughs> you gotta read you gotta read the books to find out yeah for anybody <laughs> Hail who Hydra. yeah and anybody who didn't understand that that was a nine inch nails reference That's Trent cool. Reznor. yes you're the best love Sarah Pete of Longwood breaker of wind smoker of the great grass G the somewhat burnt <laughs> P.S. in the books isn't it obvious that Jamie sees simple Jack when he pictures Brienne in his mind <laughs> Head movies make my eyes rain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Pete. Yep. I love you. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Pete. Next is a message from Sir Patrick of Hindsight regarding the Tywin scene where he hisses and roars about Rob Stark. Tywin frets about uncertainty. His advisor tells him the Greyjoys did them a favor. I didn't pick up on this subtext until now, but there's an implication that Tywin had just been bristling his mane at the fact that all the ravens are down. Varys mentions it late in a later scene to Joffrey he hasn't heard any whispers from his little birds since Theon sacked Winterfell. Oh damn, so Rob has no idea that Theon helped him get his dick wet. Because with the ravens down, Talisa had no sense of duty to mitigate her emotions. She got to spend time strolling in the woods, getting to know him, instead of sneaking off to write correspondence with the spider. Yeah, I was wondering about that too, and she was writing that letter. She may have been writing to, uh, to varies. Thanks, Sir Patrick. Great stuff, as always. All right, that's our show, episode 60. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you to Anwen for joining us. We had so much fun with you this week. Yeah, really glad you could make it. Thank you so much. It's It's been really, really great to be on. Um, I've had a great time. Um, ask me again anytime. I loved it. Great. Yeah, we'll have you okay, back good. sometime soon for sure. <laughs> and we Thanks need to so hear much. your Kiwi accent, Duncan, before I go. No way, Anwen. <laughs> That's cool. Thank you so much. And thanks, guys. Um, I will, I'll talk to you soon. Next week, we'll be covering Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. And, of course, if you would like to leave us some feedback or some reviews on iTunes or on our Facebook page, we would very much love it. We're getting very close to a thousand likes on our Facebook page. So if you don't follow us now, it's a good time to follow us. And uh, we love to be active on that page and talk to you guys. And um, it's really fun. Yeah, we don't normally mention that, but we're pretty active on Facebook and post lots of, you know, cool stuff, behind the scenes info and fun videos and things like that. So, yeah, check us out on Facebook for sure. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us. Yes, at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. And slap. <laughs> Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at podcast. All right. That's our show, everybody. Thanks for listening.
This morning I heard a song all the way from Karth beyond the Red Waste. Daenerys Targaryen lives. A girl at the edge of the world is the least of our problems. She has three dragons. But even if what they say is true, it'll be years before they're fully grown. And then there will be nowhere to hide. One game at a time, my friend. Classic. <laughs> Cereal Pharrell. Yeah. Cereal Pharrell. That would be cool. Maybe Cereal <laughs> and huh? yeah, maybe Rhaegar or uh, yeah, maybe Jockin is Cereal and Cereal is Rhaegar and <laughs> and so on. Maybe both. Do you think you could beat me in a fair fight? I think that would be an awesome fight. You know. The answer is no. Well, he's, yeah, he's already taking up, like, all the space and then all, like, six foot ten of, of Gwendolyn Christie, like, folds into this tiny canoe in armor. <laughs> it's just watching them row away. <laughs> I just started giggling. Read the books. <laughs> Your subliminal message worked. Haha, <laughs> joking. Are you burping? Uh. What? <laughs> <laughs> One game at a friend. Fuck the king. Sincerely, Nettie. Oh my gosh. I'm just reading things. 